in the flaming footsteps of Grimnir walked the Fire Slayers. Warrior god of the Dwarden, Grimnir was brother to Grunjni, one filled with the fury of battle, the other tempered by the forge. An age ago, when Sigmar freed the shackled Dwarden gods atop the tallest of the Iron Mountains of Shamon, hot-headed Grimnir demanded that the god king accept his warrior's oath and choose a mighty enemy for him to slay. So it was that the legendary Dwarden sought out Volcatrix, mother of salamanders. As Grimnir strode from the realm of fire, Volcatrix uncoiled like a molten river from between smoke-belching peaks. Gleaming blade and burning fang met in a shower of sparks, each blazing ember outshining the stars as God sought the best monster. Fireslayers tell that it was Volcatrix's spite that claimed Grimnir's life. Even as she died, the great salamander erupted, leveling mountains and scattering the two gods across the realms, the flames of Akshi and the spirit of Grimnir forever intertwined. Welcome to the garage, you tools. For the next several hours, I'll be doing the best I can to share with you my love of tabletop wargaming and probably some of my various other fandoms. Bringing you Wars of Fortune, Temples of Fire, and Oaths of Gold, I'm Dave Witek, and tonight I'm here again with Lindsay, the albino hockey puck, at least in the beginning. But later on, I will be joined by friends of the show, Christian Bayer and Kenny Lull. Um, and tonight, if you haven't guessed, we're talking Fire Slayers. <laughs> That's right, folks. It's been a long time coming. We haven't covered a book in full-on detail in a while. But uh, school's out for summer, and as that's happening, I'm going to have more time to be reading this stuff. So you can expect a lot of fluff, in-detail fluff reviews and book reviews uh, coming out of Garage Hammer. Um, And I hope you're going to enjoy it because I'm having a good time uh, right now reading this, and I'm very excited to cover this stuff later this episode. But before we do... I need to take a minute to thank the sponsors of the show. Um, as you guys know, our sponsors are Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Mersha Miniatures, that's M-I-E-R-C-E hyphen miniatures.com. That's right, Tomlin. I said Mersha. You're not the only one who says Mersha. The TC War Room in Traverse City, Michigan. You ain't wrong. Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Uh, everything you need on a MDF. Give them a call or laser cut cool plastic objective markers and measuring pieces because the ones they sent me are awesome. Um, and of course, last but certainly not least, Battle Foam, protecting your army. All right, folks. So, um, all right, before we jump into this, uh, let's cover a couple of quick bits and bobs of information. Um, we've gotten a bunch of very happy, friendly, kind emails. I'm not going to go into reading them all right now because this show is promising to be, you know, in the in the three uh, to four uh, hour segment. In fact, um, I am... Okay, before we get to that, uh, emails and stuff, um, next two to three episodes are going to be way off schedule. Um, summer has just started, and uh, the White Tech family is going to be uh, uh, going on uh, summer vacation or, or summer holiday, if you prefer. Um, and that's going to monkey with the uh, recording schedule. I'm just 
getting this out now. Um, if, in fact, if this is edited on time, you're listening to it before the release date. And if not, you're listening to it like a week and a half later because of how things are going. Um, as you all know, if you've been listening, this is the reason I'm not even getting to go to Blood in the Sun this year because we're going to be on vacation. Um, the episode for the 25th isn't going to be recorded until almost the end of the month. It's going to come out beginning of July. I'm hoping the episode for the 10th will come out on the 10th. Um, if not, it'll come out a few days after. I don't know. I'm just sort of trying to figure all this out as I go along. But until uh, basically the 25th of July, the episode for the 25th of July, uh, right before I go to Gen Con, um, I got family stuff going on. So, um, But never fear, amidst that's going to be tons of hobby and excitement and fun. And I say that with the utmost confidence because as I'm planning out my summer, um, there has definitely been scheduled in time for both reading and catching up on the fluff for both this and after Olinor. Yes, I said after Olinor. And uh, in the evenings, there's going to be time put aside for painting because these Stormcast Eternals got to be done before the end of summer because there's fire slayers to paint and uh, vampire counts to rebase and just all sorts of stuff to be done. And I've got to make time for it this summer, I promised myself. So really quick, uh, I got an email from Alexander Nygaard, and um, he has been going through and taking the end times scenarios and rewriting them uh, to be played in Age of Sigmar. And I'm going to put a link... Uh, it's on uh, the it's on uh, the Grand Alliance TGA dot community. Uh, of course, he sends me an email and asks me if I could post it and doesn't post it on the Garage Hammer forums. But you know, I won't hold it against him. The Garage Hammer forum is is great, but uh, the Grand Alliance is was the best idea. Um, I got to give credit to Ben Curry and I, I give him credit. Uh, I will continue to give him credit for this. I am jealous of, of, how, of this, uh, this thing. It was a great idea and, um, he did it. He's doing a great job with it. So check that out yeah, there. That's, it's just more scenarios. It's scenarios from end times. The ones that we didn't have time to play before the world blew up. Now we can play them. So I would suggest giving that a look. Um, I just want to throw out uh, a couple of other things. Um, we had a uh, an email from Doug Griggs. Um, just wanted to say thanks to him for the nice email. Also, uh, shout out to the Seattle, Washington area. Anyone looking for a great AOS community should join the join the Northwest Age of Sigmar group. Um, they got a community growing out there. And uh, what else? Oh, I had another email from someone. Uh, Joshua Taos um, emailed me. Uh, Thank you, Joshua. A really nice email saying that, uh, you know, every time he feels out of AOS because people aren't playing it as much by him, uh, he listens to the show and it pulls him back in. Um, And that wasn't even trying to do an Al Pacino impression, so don't even accuse me of doing a bad one. Um but uh, he was listening, um, and uh, they're going to be p- playing some Silver Tower and stuff like that. So if you can get, uh, I think Silver Tower is going to be the, uh, that's the gateway drug now for for AOS almost. It seems to be. 
Uh, I'm very excited about that. Um, had some cool stuff from Aaron Schmidt, a cool email from Norman uh, Chadry. Uh, I just wanted to thank people who are uh, emailing and saying stuff um, to me, just really nice uh, things. I got an email from a gentleman named John Brock who um, is coming back, moving back to the USA with his son and going to be playing. He's hoping to play in my next AOS event, which would be awesome. Um, and shout out to him and his son. Apparently, they played in the South Coast GT. Uh, he's the 11 year old kid who was playing. Uh, I just heard about him on the uh, on Ben Curry's show. So very uh, hey, if you're playing at South Coast GT, you're doing better than I am. So that's kind of awesome. That that's great for you. Um. All right, so. We're going to go from there um, to uh, uh, we got a couple of voicemails, and um, I want to play a couple of voicemails real quick, and then I'm going to get this done. We're going to cut this and jump right into, we're going to skip the toolbox brought to you by Chaos Arc Superstar, Chaos Arc Superstar, Chaos Arc Superstar. We're going to skip that, and we're going to um, skip the um, uh, news and rumors and all that. We're going to jump right into the Fire Slayers, because they will not be denied. They're hot and ready for some garage hammer coverage. So um, I just got a few um, uh, voicemails I want to play. Uh, Big Mike's calling in, and it seems appropriate. Hey, Dave. It's Big Mike here. I'm just walking from a textile museum towards the Warhammer Dundee store in Scotland. Thought I'd drop you on and say hello because I'm listening to the show as I walk. Uh, looking forward to the next show. See you next time. Bye. Uh, and that's Big Mike, and um, he'll definitely get a mention at some point because he's the one who keeps saying that uh, Grimnir is the one who turned into the Chaos Dwarf um, God, Haster or whatever, and that's such blasphemy. That's heresy. If I had a bolter gun, Mike would be in trouble. So, um, uh, Mike, you know I love you. And, hey, Mike, uh, you haven't played uh, Puzzles and Dragons in like 12 days, and um, you better get on there because... Uh, you're losing me best friend points. So, um, all right. So that was that one. Um, and so then we got uh, a couple. We, I got several emails, or I mean voicemails from Dave from Alaska. And uh, I just want to um, play one of them for you now um, because he's been he's just been messaging me throughout. Uh, and it's great. I love listening to them. Um, I'm building a relationship by phone apparently uh with dave from alaska and uh here is one that he wrote um and uh, I, I i appreciate all the uh voicemails but since we're running tight on time this episode i'm just going to play this one so here you go oi this is david from alaska and i'm calling to tell the fat manling that uh he's hit it right on the nail with uh age of sigmar and i can't do this voice anymore Anyways, uh, turned not a pirate anymore, but I was listening to you guys' this newest show, and, uh, you know, I've come from the perspective of someone who never played fantasy, and I uh, played my first game of Age of Sigmar this weekend, uh, Sylvaneth versus Wildwood, no, not Wildwood, uh, Wood Elf, and it was awesome, uh, to the point where now I have my own beginning set of Fire Slayers, and uh, I can't wait to uh, get them painted, put them together, and then go fight again. 
it was awesome. Absolutely great. And, um, yeah. So from my perspective, I didn't lose anything, uh, with the old editions. I only gained something awesome. I'm really happy with Age of Sigmar. And I think I'm one of the people that they are trying to bring in in order to revitalize the whole system. Anyways, uh, let me also add a complete unrelated note that I am always blown away by the music choice that you use on the show. And, uh, keep it up. I, I mean, every time, every time, you know, it's just hearing, cause I'm an English teacher myself, or I'm going to be once I finish the stupid practice exam, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, when I hear some music coming down at, right after, uh, listening to some nerdy talks, I'm like, oh, <laughs> this is awesome. So keep it up and, uh, keep going with Agent Sigmar because I found my new hobby and I, uh, want a show like this I can keep listening to. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Dave. That's fantastic. Appreciate it. Uh, one last, uh, one last voicemail, and then we're going to jump to a quick commercial break and come back. Uh, and here we go. This one's from Fredericks, Fredericksburg, Virginia. Um, and once again, showing the crossover appeal of Age of Sigmar. Uh, this one. Hey, I'm just calling because, uh, he sounded pretty bummed going through the uh, the voicemail bit of your last episode, talking about the people that want you to do something else with your show, as silly as that sounds. Um, and I just want to say uh, thank you for doing your show your way. I'm actually a 40K player that uh, might be picking up Age of Sigmar because I stumbled onto your show a few weeks ago. I've listened to a lot of back episodes, and I'm getting a little bit hooked. So thanks keep at it and uh, maybe drop a hint at uh, at who I should pick up to start. Thanks. Okay, uh d- didn't leave his name. Um so I'm not don't know who I'm addressing. Um who should you pick up to start? Man, I wish you would have said who you play in 40k. Not that it necessarily uh, you know, translates over easily. Uh, wow, uh, that's a hard that's a hard question, pal. Uh you you know, drop me an email or or send me another voicemail. I don't know what your play style is. Um, listen to this. If you like the Fire Slayer review, um, you might want to try Fire Slayers. I know we did the Core and Bloodbound, um, and they're a really fun army to play. Um, I'm really enjoying when I'm playing with my not-quite-finished-painted um, Stormcast Eternals. Um, any of those are great. Uh, I've been playing Undead forever, and they're great. I'm waiting for the other half of the Duarden to be released to see what they're coming up with. Um, but it really just depends on your preference. I'm sorry I can't be any better than that, but I have no idea what to tell you. Um, other than that, right before we go to commercial, um, Google Voice. I'm not doing any uh, Google Voice translation thing right now, once again, due to time constraints. But um, Age of Sigmar keeps coming up with a just ignore. Um, a just ignore apparently is age of Sigmar when you're Google voice translating it. Um, so I, it's just one of those things that, it, and I wouldn't even mention it because it's not really that funny except, uh, three different people said age of Sigmar and three different times. That's exactly what it translated it to. So I just really think that's funny that, uh, that's how it comes through on the voicemail mail. Um, so, um, okay, that's it, and uh, we will be back in just a few moments with uh, Christian and Kenny, and we will um, be ready to ready to rock and roll with some 
Fire Slayer goodness. Grimnir caught the last Chaos Knight's blade in the teeth of his Grand Axe, twisting the weapon from his foe's grip with expert ease. The plate-clad warrior's empty hand grasped the air for a second, and Belgrim fancied he saw fear in the two glinting eyes framed by the knight's visor. Then, both helm and visor vanished in a spray of gore as the Rune Father reversed the swing of his Grand Axe. As the headless body fell heavily, Belgrim looked about to see that his berserkers held the burning battlefield. Vivid splashes of blood and the bodies of Chaos Warriors marked the ground all around them. Nearby stood the Pyroclast Towers, their human priests fearfully watching the battle unfold. Riding his massive magma droth into the shadow of their gate, Belgrim called out to the defenders. The deed is done, Ash Priests. Now, as agreed, the gold you owe us. With a shaking finger, one priest pointed to the far horizon. Lord Grimnir, another warband of Gortide approaches. Deal with them and we will open our gates and pay what was promised. Belgrim growled. Did no one ever tell you not to break an oath with a fire slayer? The Rune Father let his statement hang for a moment, glancing over his shoulder at the approaching Chaos Army. The priests stood mute, their gates unmoving. Then perhaps others will learn from your example. With a gesture, Belgrim gathered his warrior fierts, the fire slayers leaving the humans to their fate. back and Lindsay has retired for the day it was a quick show thank you Lindsay thank you Lindsay and and there we go and here we are that was Christian Christian has been on a couple of times you guys all know Christian Christian hey hey there thanks for having me back on and joining us for the first time internet sensation (laughs) Kenny Lull Kenny come on where are you at hey guys internet sensation huh that's pretty nice well you've got your own show uh why don't you tell people about your show? We have Combat Face Podcast. It's a weekly wargaming podcast. Covers a little bit of everything and hobby, and I talk to a lot of Black Library authors all a the time. It's a lot <laughs> of Black Library authors. I'm a, I, I, I must admit I'm a bit jealous with how much you got. You talk to those guys. <laughs> well, we got um, two more coming up this week, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. It's yeah. a Warhammer geek bonanza dream come true. Yeah. It's fun to write an author and say, so you're one of the few that actually hasn't been on the show. Will you come on? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody else is on my show. Come on. Yeah. Come on, guys. <laughs> Don't you want to be cool? Yeah, I'm like glad to be there? here, though. <laughs> no, it's great to have you on. So, um, Christian, you've been on a bunch of times. And uh, like I said, thanks for coming on and backing me up here. Um, Certainly. And so everybody knows, um, just so we know, because I want to give credit where credit is due to. Christian, you're actually coming in and helping me out in a pinch. Um, Tyler, you know, Scrubby and Wells on Twitter. 
Uh, Tyler was actually going to jump in and help us, but Tyler has had a whole bunch of real, real life like come down on his head. Um, mm. In fact, uh, I'm just going to drop in uh, uh, some stuff on the show notes uh, so you guys can kind of go over and check out his. Uh, he's got his ageofsigmar.org site and stuff like that that he's been putting up, but uh, he's actually been selling off some of those beautifully painted miniatures. And stuff that he's got to pay for, like, family emergency stuff. So he actually had to back out because of that. So, Christian, thanks for jumping in uh, sort of last minute and helping me out. Uh, yeah, anytime. Here. It's, it's an, a real unfortunate reason, but yeah. I'm always happy to help out. And um, and and Kenny, uh, I asked you a while ago, you were out of the country, and now that you're back, you're, you're jumping and helping us because... Kenny, you are the one person I know who who not only plays Fire Slayers a lot, but plays them as their own army, not as a portion of another army. Yeah, so. I've never actually tried putting them together yet. I, I know that, that there's a lot of shortcomings, and they would probably be more competitive, but uh, eh, I'd rather keep them by themselves. So there you go. So now we get we can get a take on them as, as that, because I know a lot of people who just kind of put them in, because with these Grand Alliances, I mean... You know the, the the obvious benefits from them as a as a group, and we'll talk about that later. As an add-on is great, but you're you've been using them, just bringing them in. And until we get the dispossessed warden, uh, this, <laughs> these are the ones we've got. So it's uh, you know I I, yeah. I, I want to get your take on just taking them as pure fire slayers. Yeah, I think it's been. I was trying to. Keep, I think it's about f- about thirty nine or forty games I played with them, and some of those have been. About half of those are tournaments, and half of those, some of those have just been like three-way grand battles or team battles or something like that. Weeha, 30 or 40 games. Okay, so we've got some experience here, folks. We've got a man who knows what he's talking about, which is more yeah, like that's a serious myself. amount of experience. Yeah, no kidding. I played a lot in Sweden, actually. It was pretty good. Awesome. So let's jump in here. Now, um, I really like, uh, just first of all, the book. I like, I like most of the artwork in this. Um, I like the new look of the Fire Slayers. Um, at first, I wasn't certain. You know, they're Slayers, but they've got armor. And I'm like, these don't look like Slayers. Why are they wearing armor and helmets and stuff? But the the more I got used to them, um, I really I do, I do, really like these guys. I like them a lot. I don't know what you guys think of some of the artwork in there. I always kind of like to go through the artwork in the book first. Oh, I, I love the artwork. I, I mean, the artwork they've been putting out in the new books is, is fantastic. They, they've hit a new plateau with it, I think, with compared to the 8th edition books. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit, uh, maybe kind of off-putting at a second, because I, I see there's different styles of artwork. There's kind of like more serious painted and kind of cartoony at the same time. So it, it can be a little bit jarring if you're not used to that for the first time, but I love it. There's some there's some gems as I was going over this again. Like the picture of them in the halls where they're, um, they're walking down, they like to go into the vaults. And then right. these big giant statues above them. There's only four people actually in the picture. Like, it just gave a really good sense of what was going on. Agreed. There's only a few clunkers in there, and I'll point them out when I see them because there's a couple <laughs> of them. I'm like, oh, what is wrong with this picture here? Um, in fact, I will say it right now. The two pictures for the Vulkite Berserkers. They look sort of like <laughs> the really old school 80s Warhammer drawings. And I'm like, man, for your real, for your, uh, you know, rank and file guys, these guys just look. They don't look scary at all. They look like they don't know what they're doing. But 
<laughs> it does have that 80s feel to it. it, does. But it like... I, I'm an old school player, so when I see that kind of hearkening style, it kind of touches a special place in my heart. Okay, in your heart. Good. I'm glad you threw <laughs> that last phrase in there at the end there. Yeah. So, you know, I was at, um, I went to Warhammer World for the first time, I think, in 2014, and I got this picture. The Dwarf Book had just come out, like, for 8th edition. It had been out, like, in the past six months. And sometimes at, at Warhammer World, you can buy specific artwork for whatever the newest book is. And I got this nice, it was a two-page spread in the old Dwarf Book. And I think it's when you open up to start to go into, like, the forces. Right. There's this big battle against the goblins, the big giant cave, and there's a gate in the background. And there's a slayer jumping up with his two axes, like, axe in each hand, he's flying up. And when I saw the artwork for one of the Volkites, I thought it was the same picture for a minute. Because, like, you could put those two next to each other, and that one guy would be the same. Yeah. It's like they kind of left him, like, they traced him, and then they did the rest of the picture. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> check Is that out. the Hearth Guard? Um, it's a more, it's a mixed battle picture. Yeah. Yeah, with the, the dual axes, and he's, like, jumping onto the corn guys. The, yeah, the corn that, blood warriors. Yeah, I, it, I have the digital. I can't see it. I guess I, I could look at it while we talk. the... Uh, I think it's the Volkite Berserkers. Is yeah, it I think Volkite? it's the Volkite. He's got two axes, yeah. Yeah, it's the page right across from... Yeah, he's jumping at the corn guys. Yeah. 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 Trace, put that down next to your dwarf book sometime and, and take a look. It's, yeah, it's very <laughs> similar. Uh, maybe that's why yeah. the style's the same. Use, recycling a bit there. But here, now, I love <laughs> this. I love the beginning of this. Just this opening paragraph for the book just really sort of grabs it. Let me get this here. As the Age of Sigmar begins, amid the crash and thunder and flash of lightning, the Fire Slayers look toward the roar of battle. Their patriarchal Auric Rune Father sensed the promise of more gold waiting to be won by blood. While their priestly Auric Rune Masters feel the spirit of Grimnir stir within their people, it is a time of great promise for the Fire Slayers and a chance to honor their god with enemies vanquished and oaths fulfilled. Runes burning bright within their flesh, and axes held tight in calloused fists. The Fire Slayers gather their strength for this new age of battle across the mortal realms. And I'm like, ooh, all right. So as Sigmar starts, like these guys are like, these guys are ready to go. And I really like this. It's like they can feel that spirit stirring within. Um, now, I, I, I want to talk about the fluff here. I started reading this before we get into that little Temples of Fire section, because we've got the different sections here. But um, this very first opening section that just sort of explains the Fire Slayers uh, and that, you know the Path of Blood and Gold is talking about here, this first couple of pages. It talks about how they craft the runes from the Urgold, and they believe this contains the essence of Grimnir, right? <laughs> and they used to put them in the weapons, and the weapons were really powerful. But then they started hammering them directly into their flesh. Uh, whoever, I don't know who thought of this, but, you know, sometimes you get that spark of inspiration. I mean, that's how the magic happens. Uh, this, this is one of those things that always bothers me in the movies, though. Like when the scientists just decide it's time for me to experiment on myself. Like, break every rule of science. Like, there's no time. I'm just going to inject myself. Like, everything always goes horribly wrong when you do this. But they were lucky, you know? Like, you know, this is how Green Goblin turned into Green Goblin. This is how, like, every bad guy turns into the bad guy. But they do it. So they're like, hey, I wonder what happens if I just hammer this piece of burning gold essence right into myself. Boom. And now Grimnir's strength is flowing through them. 
And now they've been seeking Urgolds since the age of myth, since this whole thing happens, okay? They gather all the gold they can, looking for Urgold among the regular gold. And it says, for a fire slayer, the gathering of Urgold is a religious act. It brings them closer to Grimnir. They fight for the gold and to be worthy of wearing it in their flesh. Okay. Now I'm like, okay, that's pretty cool. This is like a religious thing for them to be wearing all of these runes and putting them on. So I thought that was pretty neat. Now, uh, Ken, I know you've you've read this and you've taken a lot of notes. Do you want to tell people like why Grimnir is in the gold? Do you want to, yeah. do you want to cover that? It, can I tell you just a quick theory? Sure. I have talking about like the scientists experimenting on themselves. And I was reading this again, and I thought, I, th- I think I know what happened, but they had to write it properly. You know, the Battlesmiths had it recorded in a way that looks very valorous. But I think it was probably, they had the stuff thousands of years ago, and some Grimrath Berserker took it and was using, like, a piece of brass knuckles, punched one of his fellows, and that left an impression. And they realized, hey, that works. Let's go put him in our skin now. And I think that, you know, maybe a well-placed headbutt or, or a punch to the gut was probably how this thing really started. But, you know, that's fine. We, we can an go with argument, this An argument in the forge? An argument yeah, in the I, forge? Somebody hit somebody, missed, and punched into the rune and got it in their skin? I, I think that, you know, maybe like like brass knuckles. Like, he was using it, and he just hit somebody with it, and the, they realized, hey, wait, that, that works. When he punched his or maybe somebody fumbled with a hot piece and dropped it on themselves. <laughs> there you go. Ow, ow, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a mishap that they oops and it became oh, I get it okay so the accident was hey I meant to do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> well I'll yeah. take credit for that <laughs> you're not gonna see you're not gonna see a dwarf admit to a mistake or a dwarden I guess so yes right, the, it was I, deliberate so <laughs> I meant to do that that's gonna be our that's gonna be their new phrase there you go so. <laughs> So then maybe yeah, Grimnir so, uh, meant to go into the gold. So let's see how this happened. Maybe he did, yeah. So they have, uh, when Sigmar came in and he was doing all his, his fixings and whatnot, he had, uh, they, they had, like, Grimnir is the brother, same like he was in uh, the old world of having his brother up Grugni, and they released him to go take care of this issue. And he goes and he's cleaning, he's cleansing the fire realms, and he has to fight Volcatrix, who's like the, the mother of all salamanders. So they had this crazy fight. And I guess you have to kind of give her a little bit of good airtime in there since you have Magmadros in the army. So the Battlesmiths, they say that, well, she had a very powerful attack back too. And when Grimnir died and, and, she, and took her with him, that they uh, just, he like enriched into this, the substance of Urgold and, and got dispersed everywhere. So when the, the Fire Slayers are going around hunting for it, it's not just we're hunting for gold because we have gold fever and we want the wealth. You know, they, they're literally capturing that that essence that scattered essence of their god and like you said it's a spiritual experience i mean even when they talk about the characters and the rune fathers and the priests like it's very spiritual what they do and so to get this it's more power each time and so they get stronger and you see that represented on the tabletop with uh, the different heroes and uh, bonuses you can get from you know heroes and synergy but they get power they get imbued from this this uh, urgold and you know the highest extreme of that is the hearthguard or the grimrath berserkers who have its just they're just smothered in that stuff, and they keep adding stuff. And uh, they can even, I guess, do the dwarf version of, a, of an OD. They can kind of OD on that. Uh, right. And we can talk about that when we get to that character. But right. yeah, so th- this is this is important, and it's more important than uh, nothing's more. It's not as important. You know, oaths, oaths, and honor are very important. But this is not like wealth we need to fund or, or we we have agreed for it. I mean, they will work for any side. They'll do anything attached to an oath, but to, in order to get this stuff. So their order, as far as a faction. 
But as you read some of the stuff, that doesn't mean that that's the only line that they'll have. And it doesn't seem to me that everybody. It doesn't seem to me that other races understand what they're looking for. They must. I mean, they, they must seem greedy to the other races <laughs> because they just work for gold. I mean, obviously they're not telling them, okay, we're working for gold, but we're looking for a special type of gold within the gold that you won't recognize, but only we will because that's got our God in it. Because you don't give that kind of information away. Because then, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, because they'll be looking for it. Yeah, that would be an awkward conversation, I guess. Right, exactly. <laughs> now, first of all, oh, I, I, I want to backtrack just a little bit. The picture of Grimnir fighting Volcatrix on page six and seven is just about one of my favorite pieces of art in the book. Mm-hmm. His skin just yeah. all black and him burning from the inside and his hair on it just like like fire itself. It's you know, that's actually that's the uh, when when the army was coming out and it, it was the leaks were getting hit and everybody was you know doing their was oh my god nerd rage thing I, I saw that picture and I said that's what I want my army to be I want them to be very elemental have red skin in their hair to be actual flames and I I'm not really that great of a painter or had that many tools but that's what I did with my army I, I modeled it after that that's how and I it wanted it pretty yeah. nice I want to when I finally sit down to paint it I want to paint the skin all blackened and dark with the, with with the deep parts being cracks with the light coming out of them like almost like volcano or like lava bases yeah yeah that's kind of how i want to try to do it because that is so cool looking um i just i like that part of the story and then when they both burst he was you know dissolved and and caught up in the lava and and mixed into this element there's there's a theme that runs through this whole army and i think it's interesting because they're all looking to get their not just get their god back, but they're literally trying to like almost. I mean, it's it's not. I wouldn't. I don't want to call it alchemy, but if as I'm reading this book, I keep seeing in the fluff like their forges are the are the heart of their their realms. All of their realms are these forges, right? And when they go out, even the guys who go out with the, um, you know, with the part the the little flaming. Um, what's the guy's name? The dude. Uh, the yep. rune masters. The Order of Master. He goes out. That that flaming thing that he takes. That's a part of the the heart of their forge. Like they take part of the flame from the forge that goes with him. And these are the guys that can slam and they can bring up lava from under the earth and start. Those are the guys who could do that. You know, which we'll get to when we get to their special abilities. But there's mm-hmm. all of this stuff about you know forging stuff and making stuff new and 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 there's uh, I mean obviously there's a lot of this heat and burning stuff. But there's this. This whole sort of, um, you know, it's, it's like this whole theme of being cleansed and being made something better of, you know, of taking this, this pure gold, this ur gold, putting it into them, making them something better, getting them back to their gods. And I like this theme that runs through it because it's, it's just a neat way that, that they run with the whole, the whole fluff of their story. This idea of this cleansing fire and them being brought closer to their god, the more that, the, you know, the hotter that fire gets, the more that they can cleanse, the more that they can get uh, this, these parts with, with them. I just thought it was interesting as I saw, started to see this theme start to run through the fluff. Yeah, uh, I think it's more compelling. I, yeah. They're doing something. Yeah, I, they're, they're rebuilding. But it's like they know something that we don't know. Like the rest of the – every race kind of has their thing, but it's like they know. They know something that not everyone else knows. And they're they're preparing for it. They're helping to to bring it back. Yeah. What were you going to say, Christian? And it is much more. Uh, yeah, it is much more compelling than the old berserker. You know, where we're just going out because we have to atone for some you know past 
wrong that happened. And this gives them much more depth. And, and I do agree with you, David, that you know, it does have more of a, a religious feeling to it. You know, the, it's they're making themselves pure, more pure by bringing themselves closer to their God. Yeah. There's a really neat – and don't get me wrong. I love the old dwarfs, and I love the old dwarf slayers. But oh, these yeah. are not them. This is this is something very no. different. Um, I do like everyone's going to mention when they mention Doom Seekers, only because that's my favorite model from the old line. So when they start mentioning Doom Seekers here and there, you start seeing these mentions. I'm like, oh, that's so cool. But um, this is something that they've really written – and they've made it something new and different. Like, yes, they're, you know, they are descended from those, the, the dwarf line and from the dwarf gods from the old, those old dwarf gods from the old world. But this is something wholly other, which I, I like that they were able to make it something new and interesting, um, even, though, with, with, even though there's a touch of that familiarity to it. So... <laughs> Yeah, it's not just an army of berserkers. No, I mean they can go crazy. <laughs> oh but, yes, but uh, that's just really, uh, really great. Um, and they keep that stuff though. You know, when um, I like how uh, you know before the lodges go into battle, they make oaths, whether it's a contract or they kneel down. You know, they don't break the oath once it's been taken. They won't accept payment for unfulfilled oaths. You know, they fight. Not just for the Urgold, but to be worthy of wearing that in their flesh. It's like there's an honor there. It's like there's a, there's a really cool element there of that that honor that they've got to do the right thing as well. They've got to be worthy of this thing. It's a purification. Um, you know, it's like that alchemy thing. And I mean, and I was just doing. I just. I, it's kind of in my head too because I was just reading this this book called The Alchemist. Um, uh, to, with my ninth grade makeup lit class, and he said that people couldn't, the people who weren't able to become good alchemists and turn lead into gold were people who just wanted to turn lead into gold because of greed. That they had to be, that it's a, it's, it's not just a transformation of lead into gold, it's a transformation of themselves. Like they had to grow in spirit and they had to grow personally, and it's a transformation of themselves as well as the element. And as I'm sort of reading that and then I'm reading this and I keep reading they have to be worthy to wear it and all that stuff, I'm like, oh, this is kind of neat. Like, it all fits. So that's where I'm at when I get through, like, the first seven or eight pages of this. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is fantastic. I'm already, like, totally hooked. I'm, like, I gotta, I'm glad summer's here because as soon as I get back from Disney next week, i got to finish painting these uh, Stormcast because i got to <laughs> get these going because now I'm, now I'm jazzed already. So... I think we're at a good spot. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll come back with Temples of Fire, and we'll talk about the uh, how they set uh, how they set up their things and how these how these uh, how these gold runes work. Folks, it's Dave, and I wanted to talk to you for a minute about Battle Foam. You've all heard me talk about it before. The foam is firm, it doesn't separate from the base, they custom cut 
design, make any piece of foam you want to fit any model you want. Anytime a new army comes out, within days, you've got battle foam cut and designed to fit those models. This isn't a game company making cases on the side. This is a carrying case company making foam and custom carrying cases to protect your army. It's what they do. It's all they do. Check it out at battlefoam.com. Battle Foam, protecting your army. Grimnir's fiery spirit stretches out across the realms, its burning, beating heart kept alive in the forged temples of the Fire Slayers. Secure in the depths of the magma holds, each temple is a sanctuary, where the Zargram priesthood guard ancient secrets among ringing hammers and molten steel. All and right. we're back. Yes. <laughs> so, the temples. Um, yeah, these guys, ooh. This so, is such a great picture, too, here on page 11, them going past those giant temples, the, those giant statues. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. Okay. So the rune masters are the ones who cast the runes of Urgold, and they're the only ones who can tell Urgold from regular gold. And I like this little quote. Even the Auric rune fa- fathers, lords of the lodge, defer to the rune master when he speaks to know the will of Grimnir. So... Like I said yeah, before, they used hierarchy. to make the weapons and armor, and now they put it right onto their skin. Yeah, it's. I mean, they're working the stuff out uh, originally as a metal, like you said. But once they find out that when it's like actually grafted and you know pressed into your skin, and you actually you wear it, you don't just have the weapon. You're not armed with the weapon. You're actually like you know part of the weapon. That it takes it to a new spot. But I just want to point out something here because as this was coming out, and AOS was only I think like six months old when this came out. Uh, the first thing when this first model came out and they did the big tease, there was a little bit of attention paid towards the Rune Master, because at first he was the guy with no, you know, had to have a mustache, but he also is the echo of the Chaos Dwarfs from the previous. He's the Zargrim priesthood, you know. And did yeah. you pick up on that little? Yeah, the Zargrim. Yeah, that's. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up actually, because <laughs> oh. there's a few. Yeah, this and and I I kind of just got the feeling of it. A little bit of a remembrance of of you know the the old chaos dwarves in here on a few occasions. Yeah, I know Big Mike. Remember Big Mike was on when we did the last uh, review, and uh, he was quick mm-hmm. to send me a picture of it and an email. <laughs> See, I told you the chaos. Dwarf. I'm like, nope, nope. Grimnir is not the chaos dwarf god. Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! <laughs> stop it! So, but no, yeah, I, I, but I like how they connect them together still because they're still connected. They're still part of the sa- that same race. I did like the connection they put together. Yeah, I think it was a nice thing to put out to kind of like maybe get your attention. And, and yeah, the, he doesn't have, you know, it's the one that doesn't have any upper lip, but otherwise pretty much the same. But I think it's, you need to see the, the difference between like, you know, it's a spiritual side, but you have the rune smiter and the rune master. So like the smiter goes through and he makes all the runes, but then it's like, the rune master is like the step above the in the priesthood like when it shows the lodge they're both on the same box together but they talk in the fluff about like you know like the master's really the one in charge like he's there's more masters than there are smiters 
or I'm sorry, there's more smiters than there are masters. Right. And he's he's got that like so that brazier of Grimnir that he carries around that that flame. That's not just a flame from the forge. I mean, it's like the actual heart. It's their flame, like the flame of the universe for them. Uh, it just embodies so much as a race. So yeah, I mean, they really they delve in right away with how this is structured, and it's not like we said earlier. It's not just about uh, like previous editions where they're slayers, they're dishonored, they have to go do this. I mean, this is like a, a religious, a spiritual experience for them, and they have to be able to commit all of themselves to go out and to you know have this sort of um, the, to this like apotheosis to their their god that they're collecting. I have a question though, mm-hmm. and I actually wrote um, uh, you know. You know, Games Workshop has sent us sent me a couple of items, and so I, you know, they, when they've emailed me, I've got you know this. So I emailed them back, and I said, "Listen, could someone please pass this along because I have a question, and maybe you know, it's not a rules question; it's a fluff question, and I haven't received a response, and I'm hoping at some point I will because, okay, the Urgold is finite. I'm assuming like there's so much Urgold around because there's so much of his spirit; it's gone into the gold, right?" Yeah, I think so. Okay. okay. Now, you, you you make an Urgold rune. You put it in the flesh. Boom. Now, they used that. And it says here that as they use that power, that power gets used up. Okay? The power in the Urgold itself is finite. It's not like you stick a rune on me and I'm powered up forever. Okay? Right. So that power goes away. And it actually t- points out that once it's used, they need... You know, they need a new rune to, 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 to charge up again. It's kind of like a battery, I would compare it to, although they don't compare it that way. Some Duarden, left without power, need more, giving rise to tales of gold lust. And it says it in here, how they, you know, they, they need more. They'll go and they'll start getting it from, kind of like junkies. Some of them become addicted and they need more and more runes when they run out of that power. You know, it's like they, they, they've come down from that high, they need more and more. Now, here's my question. It's... Grimnir's spirit that's in that that's what's powering this Urgold, right? Mm-hmm. So yes. if you use it up, are you using up Grim like if they use up all the Urgold, is Grimnir gone? So are you asking you know, that they're partying and say, Hey, let me do a line of Grimnir and you know, like well, okay, <laughs> Oh my god, like, we're out. Let, okay, let's say <laughs> let's say that you manage to gather all the Urgold in existence. And then you hammer it all into all the dwarves, and they use it all. What happened? Like, is he gone, or I, or or? Yeah. And this is what I want to know because, or what do they think's going to happen? Like, do they know? Are or are they? Does he go? Does he? Is it released, and then he goes back into more gold? And well, then I think that's a subject. Uh, or gold? Sorry, what, I think that's a subject for. Uh, like a, a campaign or a, a a next story arc at some point. What would be cool and what I thought it would be, be, I'd like to know what they would think. Because once again, you've got all this religious stuff here. What would really be cool is this, as they use it, they're releasing him from the gold. And eventually, if you use it all, it. you've released him and he will return. Find all my parts. Yeah, use I would it, agree with that too. I think yes. That would be awesome. Like the return of Grimnir. But you've got to find yeah. it. Because they literally talk about moats. Of gold. So if you're talking about flecks and specks of gold, that bits of him that are in, and you've got to find all of it, um, especially later when we talk about the one battle plan where you find out about the Skaven, like if you got to yes. find those parts too, like, okay, this is not an easy task, but you've got to get it done. And, but, you know, that's my question is what happens when, what if you've used 90% of it when it becomes that rare? And I mean, that's I, I just I just want to know what the dwarfs believe 
or with the Dwarden. Sorry, what am I saying? I want to know what the <laughs> Fire Slayers believe because this is the one question. As I read this, I said, "Because th- what happens when you burn through it? Like, <laughs> where do you go from there?" And did anyone else I, have I, that question when you read that? I did. Yes, I completely did, okay, and I good. and I actually noodled on it for quite a while, trying to think of, like you, know, you mentioned several several ideas, and the, most of those, some of those came to my mind as well. But the one I kind of settled on is, I'm you know I'm thinking of it, well, and it also started off with you know, he. It was in a kitchi that he had the battle, right? But the Urgold is found in every realm, so I was thinking if it's not you know located just where he died it didn't just seep into the ground where he died it went everywhere well then it's it's much more like you know a, a spirit that could travel anywhere um and so therefore if it's trapped in the gold in this urgold when they use it up i would think that it's freed released now it could return to a new you know new part of you know new piece of gold somewhere um or like you were saying it could maybe start going back into the realm of the gods and he's slowly getting stronger i mean i got a uh, oh go ahead go ahead kenny go ahead I, I got i got two thoughts here i guess um and i'm trying not to use any 30k terminology a lot of this when i read this i i think of an example like 30 or 40k so i won't bring any of that stuff up on garage hammer if, if no, possible go ahead. dude we have like, think, after Eleanor, like well we did like eight months ago we'll have one again so go ahead yeah, like when i look at my notes i'm like oath they take an oath they take a dwarven oath of moment basically when you know when they prepare to go into battle oh you noticed uh, that too and, yeah okay. i wrote stuff what i wrote down I'm like, i wrote down oath of moment you know like <laughs> i have that written here but, too yeah there's like um yep. so the priests are the priests are very important and then on page nine when it talks about uh, the rune masters, you know, kind of governing this addiction and how bad it can go. I think that I, th- I think of two things. I think, like, first, that they they know there's a secret that those rune those rune masters and only they know, uh, and maybe that's just kind of like they're uncertain. So, like, like a chaplain would do uh, in the various legions or, or chapters to try and maybe take take your mind off these questions that are too big for your brain. What you know, the, the human is not supposed to conceive. Uh, I think they're tied up in that. But I also I think from a meta perspective. I personally feel that you know it has it scattered over the eight realms, uh, and, it, and wherever else it's floating around the essence. I don't think that they can at this point in the story that they can get it back, because I think that there's a, a still continuing battle between like the symbiosis between Grimnir and Vulcatrix, and they have to kind of coexist together. And so as he starts to get uh, used up more, that's going to affect that balance since they both died. And I think that the Volcatrix is more more essential, you know, maybe like the God Beast or the World Serpent kind of thing. I don't know, but I, I think there's a, there's a definite layer there that we're not seeing. And if you don't know much about the fluff, maybe you haven't encountered this yet. But I, I think it's deeper than that. And hopefully, it'll be a subject, you know, for, for campaigns and stuff. Not an end times, but you know, something a big campaign coming. But yeah, I think it's definitely it's over the it's over the realms, and I think it's it's more seated into like the essence, like the pure stuff of these realms than you know we might think. That's kind of cool. And like I said, yeah. I mean, the, the, well, and the Realmgate Wars, you know, as we're getting these books, you know, the, we've gotten, what, three so far? You know, uh, yeah, campaign. Uh, yeah, eventually yeah. those, eventually this campaign, you know, uh, the, the campaign, I mean, this story's got to come to some sort of, at least this chapter of the Age of Sigmar has to come to a close. Because eventually they've got to, you know, you got to, we got to find out what's going on with Slanesh. We got to find out what's going on with these guys, that guys. So as, as different things 
happen, maybe this is another story. You know, this could be a cool story. Maybe this is something that's coming up. I'm certain that the guys at GW know. Maybe that's why I haven't heard back. Maybe they're like, um, <laughs> shut up. You know, but <laughs> but uh, I did. I wrote him because I'm like, dude, what happened? Because that's the one thing. Is like that is the probably the most compelling thing. I mean, it's like you you know, you're telling me all about their religion and their belief in this guy. Well, you know, if you're consuming him. And you're, t- and you're telling me there's a finite amount. Well, what happens? Like, that's a big question. But I like what you're saying, Kenny. That's not a question you should be asking, you know? Oh. Well, we might also find that the I, – I think we might see a development where maybe not the absolute truth from a meta perspective, but racists can look – you know, each, each book that you look at for whatever faction, you know, they're telling their perspective of it. And I, I think that – I kind of think of also is that we're going to start to see godheads, god, god characters in, in Age of Sigmar that are, are – equivalent to the realm so i think that like Ilario, whatever's gonna happen with life you know, i basically kind of think of her you could study that from an outside and say she is life she is that that arm of existence you know that magic and okay. i think the same thing with kind of fire i think of like grimnir as their own fire so if, like if you were if you were looking at this from an outside realm like maybe the salon or whatever uh, you know the, the seraphon looking from the outside they may not put the same markers we put they might be like grimnir that guy's the actual fire realm that's the life realm that thing over there is the shadow realm that that Slanesh guy over there trying to poke his way back in. You know, he's over there. So I, I think there's another stage, and I, I look forward to that actually as a fan. I, I want to see them zoom out and develop the world setting, you know, even more because I think there's a, so much richness here that we have to we have to kind of just like strap in and, and get ready to experience it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's something that's, that, that I'm really looking forward to is getting the, the realms sort of laid out for us in a little more detail. Um, and that's 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 going to be pretty exciting because there's still a lot to lay out, um, which is why I don't mind yeah. when the stuff is coming out faster than I can read it. <laughs> I think there's a lot we don't know, and listeners that have that you have to kind of get the idea of the dwarves and the slayers out of your mind from Eighth Edition because that that's not what this is. It's, oh no, we, 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 we moved all. on. So I think once they they get in, and I've seen a lot of people that actually see them play, like they don't play them, but at the events we were at where they come over, they look at the army, and they're like, oh, those are those fire slayers, and they're like this, right? I'm like, no, no, you know, this and this in the book, and they're starting, oh, like the fire guys, the fire realm. I I think like the community outside is starting to come to like kind of a mutual consensus understanding that maybe they don't realize they're doing it, but it's like as the the fluff for the game itself is, is unrolling. You know, there's there's so many layers of depth here that we're seeing. And so the more that comes out, you know, the more exciting it gets. Well, and speaking of which, that's like the next little bit here, the Axes of Grimnir, which is this next little, just it's just a quick two-page section. But here's the book lays out. They're just, I mean, they, they now, they, Fire Slayers first made their home in, in, in Akshi, or Akshi, however you pronounce it, uh, on that mountain range called the Salamander Spine. Because, you know, they still live in mountains, and it's still cool. But at least they live in pretty much every realm. So, yes, their main home was in the realm of fire, but they have spread out to every realm looking for Urgold. They live everywhere, which I think is really cool. And it kind of talks about the uh, very quickly about the different some of the different lodges and they call them lodges um, in the different places where they live and the different types of things they fight and who they're and and how they act. Um, But they they are basically, you know, they're all doing the same thing. Um, which brings us to Oaths of Gold, which is the the, 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 well, the timeline for all intents and purposes, um, which, as we all know, doesn't lay it out like a timeline. It lays it out with the circles and the weird stuff. Um, well, let's go over the timeline kind of quick and then take, a, take another break. Dude, this, is, this one's awesome. I like this timeline a lot. 
Yeah, it's you, you can't. It's not like you said. It's not really a timeline. It, well, it kind of is. It, I it mean, goes, if, if you follow the little path, kind of. I mean, it just hits all the major <laughs> events like a timeline does, without dates. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Yes. I don't know what else to call it. You know, they've got it, it in every book. It's that, where the yeah. timeline would be. We, uh, we I've, I've always called it, like, when I opened it, I'm like, oh, it's the tapestry. Like, I think of it as, like, the tapestry of their... Because, you know, the Runesmiths, oh, the, the Battlesmiths, they actually, like, the Battlesmiths... It, this goes in a little bit more in the book. Like, they don't just carry an icon. Like, they they recite the whole lineage, and they can, you know, tell everything about their hold. But, like, when that battle's over... Even during, they're writing on the back of that sand. They're engraving in, you know, the actual history and like the proof of existence of that these guys. Battle, yeah. So, they write that what happened in that battle on the back of that standard, and they write that. Yeah, this is like down. their tap- tapestry. Yeah, tapestry is a good word for it. I like it. Tapestry. Okay, we'll go with tapestry. Yeah, it works. Yeah. Go ahead, Mister Mister Vocabulary. Show me up on my show. That's quite all right. I don't mind. Well, you can edit it out, sorry. I won't. Of course not. That's okay. So let's roll through some of the cool stuff here. They got Grimnir's last battle, obviously, is how it starts. You know, Sigmir finds Grimnir and Grungeny. Grimnir dies while killing Volcatrix. Uh, that's when the Fire Slayers are born. So, um, the, so, okay, here's the question. They said that when Grimnir fell, the Fire Slayers were born. Were there Dwarden who became Fire Slayers, or were there nothing and then magically... Because, I mean, I assume there were some Dwarden, but it literally says when Grimnir fell, the Fire Slayers were born. Like uh, I, they existed, and there was a, a cult. You know, going back to this whole like Zarkrim uh, line of, of ancestry a while ago, I, I think that there was that, that they were around. Because even like in previous versions, like they were still around. They were just like ancestor gods. So. But I think you, that when he yep. he he shattered, they became Fire Slayers as opposed to just Dwarden. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. I get. It. So they were the ones who sort of followed up. So do you think that the dispossessed are like Grungeny's sons, and these are right. Grimnir's sons? Yeah, I think I think I get that. The um, I get the sense of that in the interpretation so far from what we have already in Age of Sigmar that the dispossessed kind of follow more like Grungeny the. Was whatever's going to happen more like the the steam head, the the yeah. metal and the artillery and everything kind of side, and this is the more elemental side. This is the the, the wrath of the fury that's Grimnir. Yeah, so this is more like, and it, oh, you know what, you did it, I'm going to do it too. So this is <laughs> sort of like a um, sanguineous, like when he <laughs> fell and sort of his, you know, his whole his whole bloodline sort of got his little bit of, you know, a bit of him in them. Can we can we go can we run with that? A little bit. I mean, I, I just sort just of in that picture. idea. I mean, just I mean, it's a bad analogy, but I mean, hell, if we're going to make 40k analogies, let's do it. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll make a 30k analogy if we're going to do it. <laughs> I mean, I, I kind of. I guess because I mean that's that's specific with Sanguinius. Like you have like you have an actual genetic flaw that that kind of just got thrown in there by the universe, right? But I, I don't. I don't think it, like Grimnir was fighting any like. Oops, I tripped. I tripped. I fell over in like a class right, I mean, no, shatter. Like fell, but fell in battle. But I'm saying, but when he fell in battle, yeah. the fire slayers were when that happened, and he got spread all over the the universe. I mean, they didn't just wake up after he died and said, oh, look, we have to gather gold. I mean, something changed in them that they could <laughs> spot him, that they knew where he was there. I mean, there had to be a there had to be a fundamental elemental change in their being that they recognized. Right. I mean, they didn't just, you know, it's like, it's like, once again, it's like I tell my students when I tell them that the Renaissance started in, you know, in 1450. It's not like the Italians woke up on January 1st and said, hey, it's a Renaissance. You know, it's, you know, it's. <laughs> You know, it, 
you know, exactly. You, there it's had in to that, be, that racial memory, though. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So there had to be something that happened. I thought that was cool. Um, but then we've got so many parts in here. If you guys want to point out some that you like, uh, I just ran through Bargain with Chaos. The Loft. <laughs> I was going to go with that. Go ahead, take it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, yeah. So in the the lodge, they uh, they made oaths with the chaos lord. Which you know, going back to you know the, that they'll they'll make oaths with anybody as long as they have a chance to get that Urgold. Um, so they they made a, a oath with this chaos lord to uh, to aid him in the destruction of this this other vast empire. Um, and so it, they, I assume you know they go to the. Uh, Bring their their whole war throng with Magdroths and uh, Magma Droths, excuse me, um, and then they they melt down the defenses of this this stronghold, and it allows the Chaos Horde to just swarm and and take over this other empire. Um, not exactly something you would picture the the old dwarves doing, um, oh. unless they were Chaos Dwarves, which is again kind of made me think, you know, harken back to that that thought um but i thought this was was you know, anything for gold but yeah they must have spotted urgold there and because i mean i read mm-hmm. somewhere in the book that some of the best guys could smell a moat of urgold half a realm away yeah. or something like that i was like yes. okay so hey th- if there's enough of it there they, they'll make a pact with anybody finding their god and bringing him back is more important than your petty wars on this little this little realm and i mean that's that's what's hammering home yeah, it's not. They're not mercenaries, uh, and and I know that the fire slayers themselves are conscious that they're viewed as mercenaries and kind of like, hey, whatever, let them take what they want, because you know it's. I, mean, I would. There's a led. There's a book from Black Library Legends of the Fire Slayers. Yes, it's got stories in there, and yep. I don't want to spoil anything, but I I would suggest that listeners read, uh, get that and read those stories. Maybe that first one might have something relevant in it. You never know. <laughs> I started reading some of it. Yeah, and it's good. And I, I'm going to I'm going to cover it in a later date. I'm going to talk about that because that, that there's some good stuff in there if you're interested in it. Um, the Fire Blooded Brothers is great. This next bit, uh, with the Fire Hand Lodge, driven mad with glimmer lust. I like to call it glimmer lust. <laughs> Uh, they had to be put down by a lot, an alliance of a dozen other lodges, and then they were buried beneath leaden slag as punishment for dishonoring Grimnir. Um, they had gold hunger. They started just stealing it from everyone, including other Dwarden. And so they're yeah. like, oh, no. You guys got to be... They went crazy. There's thing right there. there there's your Sanguinius uh, in your Blood Angels kind of met. There, there's your crossover right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, they, it's it's the gold lust. It's the stuff. I mean, that harkens back to... Uh, to uh, to Tolkien, you know, it's like they the that that craziness. Uh, Oath betrayed. This one's another good one. Seven the seven crystal cities hired the uh, Hermdar Lodge, but refused to pay, and now nothing of their lands remain. <laughs> Oathbreakers. <laughs> yeah, there's a couple stories in here where they just leave people to their doom uh, because they didn't pay them up. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I love it. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. Uh, how about the lost oath in the land of the chained sun? The Vostarg found an oath carved into the helm of a dead fire slayer. Without hesitation, they took it up. For even in death, their word is iron. This is just right. great stuff in here. Um, the last. End, the, go ahead. Uh, the Grimnir's master rune that's in here that that kind of talks about 
what happens when they recover in the goal too. It says after doing battle with the Nurgle Broughtringers, Rune Smiter Forgan ordered his dead cremated to recover their Urgold. As the sacred metal flowed out of the burning flesh, it formed a perfect rune of Gribdir. Empowered by the rune, Forgan and his gathered rune smiters led an army of forged brethren to cleanse the deep ways of taint for centuries to come. So you have that re- Recycling, you know, bringing that essence back in and, and have it reborn through fire and fist. And I love how they're 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 taking it from their dead brethren. They're burning the bodies, and they're doing mm-hmm. a good job. And there's a sign because as the gold's running out from the bodies that are being cremated, the gold just forms its own perfect rune. Well, there's a sign right there. Let's keep going. Let's <laughs> um, read the Black Library book because there's some they address some of these things like what do the fire slayers do with their dead. How do they talk to each other? How is their society structured? And you know that book that came out simultaneously with this release has a lot of stuff in there too. So I would recommend that again. Yeah. Last stand on Fire Top Peak, the Doomseeker Firegrim. Doomseeker. Yeah. And he alone yeah. stopped an entire Slaneshi force. Why? Because Duarden are awesome. Slaneshi are wusses. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Well, yeah. Let's see. I'll second that. <laughs> You're the corn as a corn guy. player. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, time of flames, volcanic eruptions swallowed many magma holes, but tons of Urgold came to the surface and many new lodges are formed. Uh, Skaven start eating fire slayers to get the power of Urgold. And so I'm like, ooh, do they eat the gold? And that's what we find out later when, we're, when we get to the, the different, um, the different uh, battle plans in the back that uh, Skaven have found out that Urgold gives them power and they start liking to eat that almost as much as Warpstone. <laughs> which we were talking before the show. What a great way to make these two enemies again. Just, I mean, they're already enemies, but make them hate each other. You know, have the Skaven yeah. want the Urgold for themselves, and just have the have the have the Fire Slayers. Wait, you're going to eat our dead, and you're going to eat the Urgold? Oh no, you you have to die. <laughs> you have to be exterminated. Oh, that's, yeah, that's a tie-in. Oh, that's so perfect. What else is in here? I got a few more. The uh, magma w- wars, the, the magma hold wars. Yes, go ahead. The the what something that the theme of this book that I really liked is that it, you know, it's it's much more optimistic. Um, eighth edition was not optimistic. You know, Warhammer before was not optimistic, right? It was always you know two minutes to midnight. The the world was always about to end. Chaos was always about to overthrow. The end times came. Um, but now with Age of Sigmar, you know, there's so much more positive outlook you know with sigmar you know, opening the gates and and you know trying to free the lands again from chaos and and you kind of get that positive feeling with this book throughout um but this story the magma hold wars um the armies of chaos sought to destroy the fire slayers once and for all twisted demonic siege engines and cunning ratmen sappers battered and clawed their way into the countless holds and soon the dark was filled with the ringing of steel and screams of the dying yet after more than a century of war the fire slayers remained having weathered all the dark gods could throw at them so you know this this isn't two minutes to midnight where the the race is about to end you, they fought a war for a hundred years a century and and still are going strong um you know it's not like they're they're a dying race of elves and dwarves like they used to be and i, and I kind of like that and they're also not stuck on one planet it's much easier to el- eliminate you when you're just stuck on one planet and they can attack you from every angle you know exactly what I'm yeah no, this yeah, this whole series like that was interesting. Uh, you know, because um, Helenhammer had on um, who was on just last episode. Who yeah, 
Who David was, Geimer? Yeah. And um, he was even saying how when they were writing that the the old world was, it was like you said, it was always too many. And he goes, and I love when they were talking about techless there a little bit and about the end times. He goes, what they didn't realize was, yes, they created the vortex, but once the realm, once the, once the you know, the, the gates the, at, at the poles of the world broke and the old ones disappeared, the world was doomed. It was done. Like, every time they held off chaos, it wasn't, yay, we won. It was like, okay, we held them off this. Eventually, they had to lose. They were doomed, and they just didn't realize it. And um, here you don't get that feeling as much. It's like there's that sense that you they, there can... You know, you can exist. You can spread out to all these places. You can, you can, uh, you can survive, like you said. Um, here's the one I like. Uh, it's it's uh, on the next page. It gets into the new age of war. Um, and this is where Sigmar returns, and the gates of Azir open, and this is where the first lodges open in Azir. And I thought this was interesting because if. Grimnir is scattered all throughout all the realms, then this access, this is the first time they've had access to this realm. So this is the first Great. time that they actually have any chance of gathering all the Urgold. This is the yeah, first it's a... Like, like, I, I kind of see it like... A, I mean, and again, not to go back to 8th edition, but, you know, there's a story about, like, how Sigmar... I don't know what that is. How Sigmar got hit he 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 gets his hammer and you know, he, he rescues the dwarf king and I, I I like how they had some kind of connection between the races here. That's that was a new story that tells a new, a new story of what's going on in you know not having two minutes to minute but said you know having the epic beginning of the new story. But I, I like how they did how they drew the races together with more than just like a promise uh, or an oath or something like there, there's actually some kind of uh, you know it's mutually beneficial to both sides more more than just fighting. But we don't know fully what it is. So like, like you said, having access to this for the first time, I think, is very important. And, you know, the fire slayers are very busy behind the scenes. There's stuff you, when they're not on the table and they're preparing for battle. That there's a lot more that they know. You know that I'm looking forward to seeing as as the game develops and more stuff comes out. Yeah, but it even says there the whispers that Grimnir's return is close at hand once this realm has opened. And I like how they switched it around. How you know this opening has helped the dwarfs, whereas opposed to the dwarfs saving mankind. Now Sigmar has opened it up and has has facilitated this huge return of, of the, and you know, as opposed to, you know, the God King Sigmar coming about from the help of the dwarfs. Now the the God of the dwarfs is helping, is going to help to be brought, come back from, with the aid of Sigmar. So I, I like the little turnabout in it as well. Um, yeah, me too. Uh, let's see. Just a couple more, and then we'll take a quick break. Uh, the Zinch Prince tricks the One Lodge with illusory, ur- illusory Urgold. Um, <laughs> they're in the realm of chaos. Um, they, I like this. They go and kick all sorts of chaos butt, and then they find their way out by following the scent of the Urgold back in their own realm. They can <laughs> smell it, and they <laughs> through a realm. <laughs> yep. Um, they fight the Iron Jaws, honoring oaths, even though those people were long dead. They made an oath to these people to help them, and they the Iron Jaws wiped them out, but they said that's not the point. We promised to stop these guys, and they fought them anyway. Um, Grimnir's Test of Steel, a fragment of fire steel believed to be part of Grimnir's own axe, was uncovered beneath the salamander's spine. To this day, only the greatest of the Grimwrath Berserkers may wield it. Uh-huh. Yeah, they have to go through the test of steel when they're 
before they can, I guess, officially get the title. And again, that's something we see put out in the Fire of the Slayers fiction book. It's one, I think it's like the first story. But yeah, there's so there's like yeah, you don't just like get this axe and they hammer a bunch of crap into your body. You're like, all right, there you go, go out and have a good time. Like there, there is a constant trial. I think like that this race is putting themselves through as they're as they're finding their god and reconstituting themselves. Like it's more than just him. It's like they, they continue to push themselves further and further in and in, into these tests. So, yeah, yeah tests of steel. The riddle of steel. Sorry. <laughs> it just makes them so much awesome. It does. It does. Yeah, I love the race. And then uh, the very last one on here is the Wild Lodges. This one I liked. Okay, fire slayers living in the vanishing wilds of Gur tell of feral dwarden daubed in molten metal. Several ruined sons of Agshi rode out to find these lost brothers, but so far none have returned. So... <laughs> Yeah, those grim masks that went too far with the sickness. That's kind of like a, you know, like the space wolves going with the wolfen thing. To, again, bring that back. <laughs> yeah, they're they just too far gone. Beryl Dwarden? I, I love. I want to see what that is. I want to know. <laughs> do you guys? Do you guys know about uh, Dragonlance? Did you ever see that for D and D? This Dragonlance. Oh game? yeah. Oh yeah. I, the, I still play it. <laughs> the uh, the gully dwarves, the the stupid ones. Yep. Right. I can only <laughs> when I read this, I kind of thought of that. I mean, I, yeah, I think they mean more savage and feral, but I don't know. That that did pop into my head. Jeez. <laughs> ah. All right. Um, time for a break. And when we come back, we'll run through the forces of the Fire Slayers. We'll um, kind of talk about the, the lodge layout, and then we'll talk about the different uh, – well, not, uh, not the actual um, – not the actual war scrolls, but the uh, the background and the fluff behind the different characters. When we return. Sparks flew as the hammer drove the rune into Groomwreck's flesh. The young dwarven gritted his teeth against the pain, the thick smell of his own cooked flesh filling his nostrils. Good lad, rumbled the rune smiter. Grimnir tests us with pain and he rewards us with his fire. Grumrek looked down to where the angled sigil now shone upon his arm. The flesh around it was hardly burned. Then, somewhere in the shadows of the forest temple, a droning chant began, and Grumrek felt something stir within him. Take up your axe, bellowed the rune smiter. Feel its weight within your hand. Grumrek did as he was bade, hefting the weapon, which now felt as light as if it had been beaten from tin, not forged from fire steel. That is Grimnir's power you feel in your blood, beardling, growled the rune smiter. In the distance, horns heralded a call to war. With a last look at the rune smiter, Grumrek turned toward the sound, hefting his axe and preparing himself for battle. Fire Slayer Lodges are Duarden communities forged from the worship of Grimnir. The blood of kings flows through the family line of the orc runefather and his sons, while the gifts of rune casting and smelting ergold are kept alive within the forged temples by ancient and dedicated rune masters. And we're back, back to the warriors of Grimnir. Yes, we are. 
All right, so we get our little uh, our little flow chart here, and you get the Rune Father, who's at the top, of course, and then they got the three breaks down: the Rune Blessed, the Oryx Scions, and then the Zargrim. Because you got to keep bringing that Zar name in there, so that Big Mike can keep calling me and saying, "Look, it's the it's the Chaos Dwarfs." <laughs> So the the Grimrath Berserkers are the Rune Blessed. I love how they they are the Rune Blessed. The ones who've gone completely wonky and crazy with the runes are the Blessed by Grimnir. They are uh, I, I, uh, the ter- they are God's madmen. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> That's a great like, term. They no are. one wants to like okay, whatever you want to do, buddy. Okay, here you go. Have more runes. Yeah. Um. So then you've got the Rune Father and then the Rune Sons underneath him, and beneath them are the Hearthguard Berserkers and the Auric Hearthguard and the uh, and then the Battlesmiths and the Volkite Berserkers. And then of course on their own little side is the Rune Masters and the Rune Smiters. Um, these guys so there's there's Go a ahead. delightful little part of this uh, that that I want to point out. It, again, you see it in the fiction, but I think it's also, it's seated in the battle tome itself a little bit, but there's a lot of fun that, that the writers have with the Rune Sons and the Rune Father, because you have the one Rune Father, and he's got all these different heirs, and he's sired, and you know, one of them's got to get it right eventually. Right. Sometimes they can all go into battle, but you know, they compete, and um, it made me think of like, a, you know, the recent Game of Thrones episodes where you have like Walter Frey, the old guy's like 90-something, and he's got like 65 kids in his castle he can't get rid of. Right. And happens to stuff with the books with his sons, and they're all different. And he's just trying to figure out, like, ah, oh, you know, what the hell? Can't somebody take over? Somebody do it right? But you know, they're they're different personalities, so they're they're not you know, see, they're not all the same. They compete, uh, and some of them want to just go off on their own. Some of them maybe want to bump that off so they can get their promotion. Some of them maybe aren't quite as faithful as they should be. There's there's a lot of room for for fun and development, not only in, in your different lodges across the realms, but you know in your own personal fluff in your army. Who your ruined father is, if you have multiple sons, consider taking multiple sons. Maybe one's on foot because he's not as cool as the guy gets to ride in Magmadroth. You know, and you can work that into your own fluff when you're creating your own force. Absolutely. And it is interesting when you get down to the talk about the ruined sons. Let's talk a little bit about the ruined father first. Um, I like how they all take the title of Grimnir after their name. Yeah. Because you're in charge. And if you're going to be in charge, that's the man you're you're modeling yourself after. Um, then you got the Latchkey Grand Axe, which has been the which has been the source of of much debate among among players whether that's really cool or really lame. Um <laughs> I mean it is it's it's a, It looks effective either way. Yeah. So it's it's not only a weapon, but it's literally a key to the Forge Temple vaults and the stores of Urgold. Um, let me let me read this. Go ahead. Let me read this one part because uh, I was I was reading this and I was like, wait, what? Huh? So it's on, on page twenty six under Oric Rune Fathers. It's in the third column if you're reading along in the book. Uh, Rune Fathers are among the few Fire Slayers with prowess enough to ride a Magmadroth to war. As the Fire Slayers are the descendants of Grimnir, so are the Magmadroth, the, the children of Volcatrix. And ever since the battle between Duard and God and Ur-Salamander, a bond has existed between them. Heat pouring from their molten skin, Magmadroths are two creatures of fire, and only a Fire Slayer has the endurance to ride one into battle. Uh, okay, why has there been a bond between them ever since these two fought? I mean, I thought they were fighting to the death to kill each other, and they did kill each other. 
anyone I mean uh, Kenny you had mentioned something about there being this this link between them but I mean ever since they fought there's been a bond between them that doesn't I mean that seems counterintuitive to me I guess like I haven't read like why um I guess I guess I have to disagree I, I I never thought of there not being a bond I guess I guess because you know they they died it wasn't so much like this guy fought this guy and he died, and he took him. He took him out like a last cheap shot on the way out. I mean, they, they had to work together to be destroyed, but to create these realms and this elemental power. So I, I it definitely it's like you can't. Even it says in the book too a few times like they can't separate the the fire and the ergold and the power. Like it's all combined. So like the the actual flame, not like the flame that lights the forge, but I mean like more metaphorical, spiritual, cultural, like racial flame that they have. It's just, it's entwined. And when they even take the, the, the root, like the uh, ergold out, like they, you have to kind of work away. You have to burn away the dirt or whatever it's around it to actually get to it. So there's this kind of union, this elemental union, I guess, between uh, the God and I, I guess, hey, I, I can't see them not separated, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's it was just, just that, he, you know, because if you read the other stuff, it was like, you know, he even said to, to, um, you know, to, uh, Sigmar, you know, give me a challenge, something to beat. And he went after this giant beast and attacked it and tried to kill it. And, uh, and uh, you know, it was like, you went to go kill this thing. And it fought him to the death. And they wind up killing each other. And there didn't seem to be any love or bond between them. And I guess what you're saying, yeah, as, as they destroyed each other in this heat of battle, you know, uh, uh, and as they were both destroyed, they, they maybe their essences were mixed. And maybe that's where that bond comes from. I didn't think of it that way. Um. But yeah, at first it's I interesting read it, I was to like, look. Huh? You know. <laughs> well, I'm glad you said that because it's interesting to hear different. Like I, I never uh, considered it the other way, the way you were saying. So it's interesting to take a look at it. Uh, and I think it's uh, your listeners. I, I definitely know. I can. I'm pretty confident that I can say of all your listeners listening, you probably have some people that have not even you know glanced at the fluff yet. So maybe you just see what's online or what you know you hear about on social media or something. But there's a there's a wealth of like depth here that I think it's worth looking into it. And if you only are hearing this like third or fourth or tenth hand from somebody, it's worth taking a look at the book. Go to the Fire Slayer page on our group on Facebook or something. Just get in there and take a little bit look because there's a lot of cool stuff in here. Oh, there is. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a plug. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead, make, hey, plug your site because Ken, you have your own, you have your own just your own blog and site just dedicated to fire slayers, don't you? Yeah, we. I was playing them so much, and I when the Age of Sigmar Facebook group like got really big. It's now called uh, Age of Sigmar Fans, I think, or something. Uh, but but it's the bit with one that has like four thousand people in it. Uh, when people were trying to retreat from forums and everything, I was talking to these guys on there, and I was like, "Hey, I've been playing these fire slayers a lot. There's a lot of tactics, but there's also like hobby and inspiration, and and you know, there's so much stuff." So they said, "Start a group." So we started. There was like four of us in the beginning. Started a group, and now there's like ninety or hundred or something. But like we we talk tactics and everything there. But it's been cool to watch people even paint because like they. I have yet to see one repeated paint job. I've seen every so many variations of skin and hair and weapons and all kinds of stuff, but like nobody's been actually repeated yet, which is kind of nice. And so it's the Fire Slayers group on uh, on Facebook. It'll say Fire Slayers in parentheses Age of Sigmar, uh, and it's a group. And there's about 100 people in it right now as of recording. So take a look at it. And uh, yeah, I mean, just pop your head in and, and take a look at what's going on. There's so much inspiration there. We have a lot of players that are, are even just, or people on the page that are just flirting with, they're, they're, they're interested. They're, they're fire curious. You know? Fire curious. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, I call my little out. flame. 
<laughs> oh, is it the, the followers are flamers? I got it. Okay. <laughs> no, that's a whole different thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. They're, uh, nice. The, when I had the authors on the show, I asked them where the flamelings came from, and they said they're like, "Oh, I had to come up with something because you know, in, in eighth edition, they had manlings and elflings, and there was the the diminutive lings." Yeah. And uh, I think I think it was Guy Haley, that, or um, no, it was David David Geimer, I think that carried it over into the Legends book and and called them flamelings. So oh, kind of nice. like what they call beardlings. They're they're flamelings in the in, to the fire slayers. Oh, I like that. Little lingo there. <laughs> okay, so let's jump into the, the so there's the Rune Sons. Now the Rune Sons. I'm just there's one thing, just one real quick thing I want to point out because they're I mean they're not that different from the Rune Father. Obviously uh, they're the sons. Every Rune Son is a possible success for to, successor to the Rune Father. Now obviously only one can succeed him. The rest either have to follow their brother or set out on their own and form a new lodge. And a lot of them go to set out and form a new lodge. And all I'm thinking as I'm reading this is like. Wouldn't the lodges have to grow exponentially? I mean, these guys live a long time and have a lot of sons, according to this. I mean, <laughs> even if they only had like four or five, you know, it's like how many of you are just going to follow your brother? You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of these guys, they're proud. They're going to go off and start their own lodges. I mean, I'm just assuming that or a lot of them die. I mean, because you would just think these lodges would. would, would they, yeah, they do mention that. You, um, oh, what's his name that, that formed the the main the large lodge in uh in akshi that uh, he's outlived many of his sons it mentions so i mean they are going into battle oh that's so true mm-hmm. i'm sure they, they there, there is some attrition i think that, that they do a good job of working out the the fluff for the rune sons in the actual game mechanics because like their their command abilities that they basically they, they have to insult your opponent it's the last kind of layover to the silly thing that they did when they had legacy when they switched to age of sigmar there's one about delivering out like a suitable insult but you know like the rune fathers their their game mechanic on the table is they can glare at you and give you a, a penalty to your bravery but these guys charge you and you can reroll against them or take your take their bravery down but like the mechanics are very much about getting overly hot-headed too many times so they get killed uh, but but like you know we're also get the sense of being kind of impatient or wanting their time in the, in the limelight want dad to notice me so, so i feel like they really do a good job of actually what maybe at first look kind of silly but when you read the book and the fluff you kind of get the feel that it's maybe kind of appropriate for the rune sons to have the actual in-game abilities that they have makes sense um the rune smiters at first i wasn't like i was like what's the difference between them and the what's the difference between them and a, and a, and a you know a, a rune master but um, I like these. These are the war priests. These are like the rune masters are the guys who actually make the runes and stuff like that. Uh, the runes, they're the war priests. These are the guys who are apart from the rune father and the sun and the fire slayers. They're not the rune master. Um, they keep a close connection with the Duarden that they fight with, it says. Um, the fire slayers see him as a messenger of the gods. All fire slayers have a sense of Urgold, but the rune smiters have to pass the gilded test. They must be gifted enough to discern its present, its precise location in a chest of gold or in a vein of ore in a cavern wall. <laughs> so, you know, pop it open. They have to be able to find it precisely. A great rune smiter may get to ride a magma droth. An exceptional one may become a rune master, but for most, their place is in the thick of battle. I like these these. The, the concept of these guys and the rare one gets to become a rune master but yeah, you get kind of uh, 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 it's a fun nod in war in war games when they mention like a field promotion 
So I kind of see these guys that like, okay, I, like in my army, I tip, I like to feel two smiters at least. And I can figure like if one gets killed and the other gets killed, you'd be like, and the room, the room master gets killed. They like, point to him like, you, you're promoted to room master. Get out there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a fun thing to do in, uh, in war games. Yeah. I just, I love, they have to pass that test where it's like they can, they can spot the gold, you know, anywhere. Well, they have to like, they do like a mental, like this says like the masks of, of Grimnir, like, so they're, they're sort of like doing this mental puzzle. Like they had like these are the guys that can smell a moat, you know, two realms away. So they they really have to have uh, this intuitive sense for that. Uh, and I mean, that's then you have also the rune masters that like you know in their game mechanic point it out, and uh, you know they could be wrong. <laughs> Whoops, it happens. Where is it? I know somewhere in here where there was that story. Was that was it? oh that was the rune? I think it was the rune master story. Oh, we'll wait till we get to that one. I think this is a, that's the one um, about the guy who like sensed a battle coming because he could smell the rune the urgold yeah i think uh yes. yeah, yeah i think it's the rune master so we'll get to that one in a minute uh so the next one they bring up is the grimrath berserkers great artwork on these two by the way um fighting against the um the magath riders with all the fire in their eyes just chopping away tons of them just just going over these nurgle guys um and yeah, I, love, this is- I love the pictures here. I just want to point out the axes. They have those, the, the little, like they're thick in the middle and they're, they're, there's like a little brazier almost in the middle where there's the fire. If, yeah. Yeah, it is like a brazier in the middle. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, that's, I mean, it's, it, it looks really cool when you see them swinging. There's that fire part in the middle coming at you. Um, you know, they throw that in wherever they can, and the fire just doesn't go out. That whole idea is almost like an unnatural fire. It's just, it's going to keep burning as long as they're swinging their axes. It's fantastic, the artwork for these guys. Yeah, um, this one's a lot. The, the little brazier there. It's also a lot of good modeling opportunities, too. If you're, like, I have three of these guys, because that's the max I can play in the comps, and they're the, <laughs> they're the best thing in the army, and absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm happy to take them but yeah there's little things you can do to d- distinguish your guys you know aside from cutting them and posing them again like i think the braziers is a nice opportunity to distinguish your different guys to match your army in general or if you have more than one on the table just tell them apart now you think these guys are the best things in the army i do yeah we i don't know when you want to talk about that kind of stuff but hands down absolutely i think that this is the best thing in the army and uh, probably the most competitive. And I can tell you what they do when we get to that part later in the yeah, show. We will get, yeah, we will definitely get to it. So uh, let's, <laughs> let's cover that fluff real quick. They are the Fury of Grimnir made manifest. Most Fire Slayers can only withstand a few runes. These guys take dozens. Um, and that's called the Test of Wrath. I like this. The Test of Wrath. You keep adding runes to the flesh until he rejects them, burns up, or the spirit of Grimnir awakens within him. <laughs> and this this wrath keeps them from being leaders, though, or rune masters. Um, but they stand apart and they train them like doom seekers. Once again, the mention of doom seekers popping up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's the test. We just keep adding them to you until it burns you up and kills you, until your body rejects them and you just can't take anymore, or until we awaken the spirit within you. It's like... Uh, I, I, you know- it's like I, I hate to make a pop culture reference, but it's almost like if you saw the movie Deadpool. That's what I was going to say right there. <laughs> yep, yep. Yeah, where they just they keep pushing the stress on you until it awakens <laughs> the mutant gene. Oh, exactly. Yeah, I just watched that on the plane on the way back from Sweden. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking right there. <laughs> Great minds. Yeah, 
going back to the beginning of the fluff when we were talking about how the Dwarden discovered that putting the runes in, in their flesh gave them these enhanced abilities, um, this is when they started talking that they put them, you know, put it in the flesh until it could possibly just burn you out. I wondered how many times they tried this, <laughs> just burning people away before they realized, oh, wait, it, it's just certain individuals that can take it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you figure once it Whoops. worked with these guys, I, I, I just, you know what I'm picturing? I'm, pi- I'm picturing like those guys at the health club. The really big guys who are always like adding on the those those extra forty five pounders on each side, you know, like those guys who just come on, man, put on one more, like just, like, <laughs> just your spine just snaps, right? Exactly, and I'm just picturing that it's it's those dwarfs or those Dwarden, okay? It's them. Those are the guys who are like, you know, they've got one, they put on another, and they're just like feeling all this energy, and they're like shaking with it, and they're like, give me another, give me another, you know, it's just. Like, <laughs> and then there's like you know some of these guys are just like and, and a, the one guy also he like a, and you can feel that spirit inside him and the, you know you figure the rune master or the rune smiter is like oh I could feel the spirit awaken inside you and then like you know then there's like you know Dwarden Phil over here is like let me try and then, oh boy <laughs> well maybe this isn't for everybody you know <laughs> just picture but yeah I picture it just like the guy at the health club who just has always got to have like you know. That guy who's got a, you know, and he's got his buddy screaming next to him, come on, you can push it one more, one more. (laughs) I think that's a more clean version of looking at this. (laughs) Agreed. (laughs) Well, it's a family-friendly show, so we're going to keep it that way, you know. Eventually, we're going to space to put these things, too, so I don't know what they're doing, but I'm just going to keep going with that, I guess. So... (laughs) All right, let's get through these last couple. We got the Auric Rune Masters. So we're back to the Rune Masters. Um, I love how they say in battle, they would swear you could see Grimnir in his eyes. As he chants, his beard catches fire but doesn't burn. Yeah. Okay. They form the Urgold runes. They can sense the Urgold in by, held by their enemies. All can sense it, but the Rune Masters have total control of it. Uh, and here we go. This is it. Um... Where is it? Legends tell of rune masters who can sense a single molt of Urgold dust from leagues away, directing their warriors to its exact location. Fnorden Haldaster, famed rune master of the Sigjorn, was even said to be able to send Urgold located in different realms, and once warned his kin of a chaos invasion when he perceived unfamiliar sources of Urgold converging upon his lodge's magma hold in Shaman. That's <laughs> awesome. That is just. There's Urgold coming. From where? Everywhere. Something's wrong. It shouldn't be Urgold coming from all sorts of weird places. Something's coming here. And they all like prepare. Kairos flapped his wings in the realm of chaos, you know, and this guy's like, oh, that way. <laughs> it's coming. That's brilliant. Uh, yeah, it's, go it's ahead. a new level. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the brazier come with a bit of the heart of their forge, and they use it to tap in the fires of the earth. And that's where you get the once again when you get to that that's the real that, that's such that's another really cool rule that we get when we get to the the rules for the for the models and the characters. Oh yeah. Um, and I like I love the I love the fluff rules for just about all these heroes. Everybody's got something very cool that they can do based on their their sort of characters, um, you know, persona. 
there's some neat stuff going on here. So, um, you know, what, let's push ahead and get the. Oh, we got one, two, three. We got four more, and then we're, we'll be done, and then we can actually get into. Um, then we can get into the uh, actual uh, battle scrolls and stuff, or or we can do the stories in the uh, what do you call it the um, the battle plans before we get into the scrolls. So. What we got here? Battlesmiths are next. These are the standard bearers. Okay, these guys. Um, they're like, oh, they're the standard bearers. And I'm expecting, okay, standard bearers. I, I, I know what a standard bearer is. Boy, was mm-hmm. I wrong. Talk about these guys have to be good at everything. Okay. Yeah, I, tell, I, um, I have to tell my opponents, well, I'd be very specific in the game. When they say that's a standard bearer, they expect him to stop and plant his standard as an action. And he doesn't do that. So I had to be very, I had to be very like careful and pointing out to my opponents that it's different. That it's not the same as a corn guy putting a standard down, uh, or the, the stormcast guy. Like he actually has an icon and it's got different rules. Yeah, and you read the fluff. They're chosen by the rune fathers first of all, so they have to be chosen by the rune father to be the standard bearer because holding the standard is an honor. They have to be one of their lodge's greatest craftsmen because if you're chosen, you have to make your own standard. You don't just it's not like here, carry the standard. No, no, no. You make the standard because as you pointed out earlier in the show, when you go into battle, after the battle, you write down what happened in the battle on the back of it. So you need a fresh standard when you become the standard bearer. You also have to be a mighty warrior in your own right. You have to be a good warrior. You have to be able to survive battles. So you have to draw attention to yourself. In battle, you know, you have to show your that you are a, a good warrior. You have to be a fantastic craftsman. You have to know and be able to recite from memory the entire history of your lodge. Okay. It's, it's like, okay, so you have to be a historian <laughs> and a craftsman and a great warrior to get this job. Like, this is like... You know what this this reminds me of like when I would play like Final Fantasy and you wanted to create a bard character and you had to like master like five or six other races before they let you become the bard, the guy who could sing the stories because you had to, you know, you had to be have all this other experience before you could start to tell tales. Yeah, job security I guess is pretty good for these guys. Yeah. So then they create the icon of Grimnir and it's and it's it's got and it's got to be perfect. Because it, 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 perfection is the only acceptable form of representation of Grimnir. So they have to create it, and it has to be perfect. After the battle, you put the history on the back of it to preserve the tale of that day's battle for all time. And as they go into battle, that's how they motivate the rest of the army, is by just singing songs of battle and telling tale, gripping tales uh, especially if they can remember one that might be similar to the battle at hand and how they won the day that day, so they'll win the day this day. This guy's awesome, at least story-wise. <laughs> like, this guy is this guy Yeah, is they're, um, they're like they're, they're warrior poets, and they have to inspire you. But, but there's a lot they do in battle. You know, this... I apologize for this, but this is—I just want to throw this out. I don't have the talent to actually create this, so I'll just tell you what I would do if I if I could. But I got an idea as like a diorama piece where I want to have like a big giant uh, orc raising his axe over his head, like about to strike the battlesmith, uh, and then have him like have one arm pointed out towards the guy with like just hanging like one second, and then like the other arm like riding on the back of the of the standard, <laughs> just kind of like just, just one second, you know, before he brings the axe down, he has to finish writing the sentence. It's like all right. 
now we can go back. So if, if I could do, if I had the talent to do that as a diorama, I would. But all I can do is imagine it. Like not even afraid. Just like, look, hold on, hold on. I'll, I'll attend to you in a minute. <laughs> that teenager going like, one minute, I'm texting. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you get a nice another Deadpool reference in there. Oh, by all yeah. means, finish your tweet. Just holding the finger. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right. So, um, the Auric Hearthguard. I like the Auric Hearthguard. Um, they are protectors of the Magma Vault, where all the Urgold is is held. So they literally are the guys who guard the spirit of Grimnir himself. So that's like a big, important job. Um, they have the Lava Guns. That can, like, they can Im- impale their enemies in close combat with the fronts of them. Um, <laughs> and monsters may not have their flesh melted, but when the lava cools in, they're stuck. And they are the bodyguards of the Rune Master. These are pretty. These are a, a pretty cool, um, a pretty cool character. Um, I just I like that. I like. The, I just like the whole idea that they're shooting lava balls at people, and it's just starting their clothes on fire, melting their skin. Another giant monster. It's not burning through the monster. I'll give it a second. As soon as this stuff cools, they ain't going anywhere. Then we'll just chop them down. It's like, okay. Well, that works too. Yeah, I loved that flat that fluff behind that. That yeah, even if it's not if they're too tough, if it's too strong of a monster, it, it'll still dry and cool, and then they'll be stuck in rock. <laughs> and it carries over into the game. Yeah, it does. And boy, that's a great rule, actually. So, um, mm-hmm. let's see what else we. Oh, and then there's the Hearthguard Berserkers, which is the other half of these guys, uh, the Elite Warriors of the Fire Slayers. Uh, they take the flame strike pole axe against man-sized enemies, a heavy chain with a flame brazier, uh, a forge fire on the back of an axe head. Uh, I'm looking at this, and this seems really impractical. You know, like you swing the axe, and there's just this giant, thick, heavy chain with a brazier at the end of it. But I suppose if you know how to wield it, this thing would just be smashing things. So yeah, because like the Doom Seekers, right? The Doom Flayers from the old with, with the axes on chains. Oh right. yeah. Uh, you know, you, you should be used to this. Yeah, that seems impractical too, but I suppose if you knew how to <laughs> wield it, it would work really well. This is one of the pictures I'm not 100% certain of. This guy seems to be like this. <laughs> what? I'm sorry, I lost you. Sorry. Am I, am I there? Yeah, I just didn't hear what you said. No. Uh, when I see weapons like this, it kind of harkens back to some of the old kung fu movies. You know, and and if anybody trained in in old you know in <laughs> in kung fu styles, some of the weapons in in like the classical kung fu arts, you look at them and you wonder, how would anyone carry that into battle? And and yet, <laughs> historically, they actually did, and they were really scary with them. Um, so. Yeah, I suppose because you wouldn't know how to defend against it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm watching so you don't split open my favorite skull with that axe, and then there's this giant chain with a brazier coming around at the back end of it. Yep. Like I said, this is one of the pictures, though. It's it's kind of it. He he looks. I hate to say he looks stunty even for a dwarf. Like he looks oddly proportioned in this picture. This is one of the <laughs> few that I looked at and said, "Wait a minute." If he I kind of looks get, like he's crouching, like yeah. almost a sumo stance. Yeah, it's just a little odd, though. Like, it's not quite right there. There's just something there's not, I don't know. It's a little off. It's just me. I'm going to be. But then we get to the Volkite Berserkers, the last entry. We'll get, oh, I'm, yeah. It's, uh, 
Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot. Uh, the last bit about the Hearthguard Berserkers. They've also got the Berserker Broad Axes. Uh, those are against the bigger foes. That stuff will punch through Chaos Armor, cut off limbs of ogres. Um, and this is the part, oh, this is where we had this, uh, that oath of, they renew their oaths to their lodges before every battle, the Hearthguard Berserkers do. And that's like you, Kenny. I was like, oh, like Space Marines do. With a moment, yeah. <laughs> protecting the Rune Father is like protecting their god, and they do it till the death. And that's why before every battle, they make that oath right before battle. I'm like, yep, yeah, there's an oath of moment. They've got everything except the little, the little uh, piece of vellum with it written on it attached to their helmets. <laughs> yep. And you know, you know that there's a rune son who wants daddy gone, and he's going to bribe the Hearthguard Berserkers to maybe just move out of the way at an opportune time in the battle, and poof, he's promoted. Ew, do you think that could happen? Oh, probably at some point <laughs> when the books get, you know, when it gets developed more. But that's not very heroic, so we'll leave that as going to say. Yeah. <laughs> so then we get to the Volkite Berserkers with the, with the pictures that I'm like, meh. And then, uh, now, I love this. You get through all these guys, and everybody's got a special talent. The, you know, once again, we talked about the Battlesmith, who has to be good at everything. You know, the Hearth Guard, they're protecting the Magma Vaults. The Berserkers are the Elite Warriors. They're taking the Oath a moment. And then you get to the Volkite Berserkers, and they're like, the Lodges are built on a foundation of skilled warriors and martial pride. Stories of Berserkers fighting with arrows and blades and them go on and on and on. And I'm like... Yeah, these guys are like the most basic guys. Like, they, you saved the the blandest for last. That's the only part. I'm like, should have thrown these guys in first because it was just like I read this and I was just like, <sighs> like after all this other stuff, you're giving me like the vanilla, like, oh, he's got a shield that he likes to throw and hit you in the chest with. Like that's that's like their claim to fame is that they'll kill you with a shield. <laughs> Did anybody else it's feel a pretty that badass shield though it, it is pretty <laughs> yeah, awesome I, but I, no I, I did feel, it was it did kind of feel like you know it was all these heroes and all these amazing warriors and then yeah it was the the cannon fodder at the end yeah and, and and they try to do it it's built on a foundation of amazing warriors and stuff and I'm like eh, after those guys you explained to me I no no I'm not buying it not yet I mean they should have been <laughs> yeah, they should just. I'm just saying they should have listed these guys earlier. You know, at, like at least right after the heroes, just so I could have at least seen them before you went into the elites. Because even though they're they're good, I mean they're not bad. Um, I think Kenny, you'd agree they're you know they they work in your army. Um, especially when they yeah. when there's bunches of them, they seem to work better. Um, but you know they're, they're core. Yeah. They're core. And, you know, the old books used to have heroes and then core and then elite kind of work the other way. And I think that they should have dropped these guys in right after maybe the heroes. Exactly. Even just two, two units ago and have them before the hearth guard, it'd be fine. But it wasn't the best thing to end on. Yeah. So. Agreed. I mean, I'm not I'm not bagging on the unit itself. I'm just saying in its placement, it, it, I felt like, oh, really? That's where you, you're ending it there? Okay. After all that cool stuff, it's like, oh, and then there's these guys. So, all right, we've gone a little over. Let's take a quick break again. And then when we come back, we have three quick stories of epic battles and, uh, and, the, uh, and the battle plans that go along with them when we return.
Hey folks, it's Dave. Are you looking for that special model to add to your army? A monstrous creature or maybe a character model? Something unusual that not everybody else is fielding on their table? Well, then you should check out Mears Miniatures at MearsMiniatures.com. Their Darklands line is full of some of the most fantastic creature models you'll ever see. And with the success of their recent Kickstarter, those models will be perfect for you to play in their forthcoming Darklands game. So whether you're looking for a new skirmish level game to play with lots of cool monstrous creatures, or you're just looking for that extra special model to add to your existing games line, Mears Miniatures is really worth your time. Check them out at Mears-Miniatures.com and seriously guys, you'll be glad you did. Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. Agtor Brule's Cornate Warhorde descended upon the Cinder Peaks in a tide of screaming madmen. Against them stood the lodges of the mountain range's volcanic peaks, chief among them Bale Grimnir and the Volstarg, emerging from furious peaks to defend their lands from chaos. We are back, and we're going to begin with the Wars of Fortune. All right, so the Temple of Magma. So here the... Fire Slayers are facing off against Corn Berserkers. So why don't you take this one, Christian, since you are the you are the resident Corn uh, fanatic and have been for well, I don't know, at least double Decades. digits years. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so Certainly happy to. What happens in this here story? So this this actually kind of to me harkens back to the story I read earlier that was in the the timeline we were we were referencing. Okay. Uh, um, so this is where the the cornate uh, lord just um, he actually gets chosen by um, Archeon to be the the head of this area of the realm in the the realm of fire in in Akshi and. Archeon tells him to, to now that I have raised you up, go forth and destroy those fire slayers that are in our mountains. So he raises his entire bloodbound horde and crushes, goes crashing towards the mountain, going up to, to the, uh, the fire, the lodge, um, and throws thousands of of blood warriors at the the fire slayers and so 
they he's riding on his his juggernaut and he has his lords with him but he's just throwing the masses at them and and they're holding the line uh in front of their the the gates that lead into their their mine and they they're fighting just horde after horde of of cornate's warriors and eventually they realize that they just they can't they can't keep it up and they decide to open the sleuths that are holding back the magma from the mountain and they just create a wall of magma just raining down that kills thousands of warriors initially and creates a barrier between the between the uh, between the fire slayers and the horde of chaos and it and it forms just a narrow area uh an opening over a bridgeway that the cornate has to you know what the warriors have to funnel through to fight them eventually though um they the warriors in their bloodlust uh they the blood stokers actually get uh the hordes to just start running through the magma <laughs> and burn it themselves to death um but those some actually make it through and they, they keep pushing forward and in this final battle what we're what we're experiencing is this this point of the battle so the the uh, battle plan is setting up for the two armies of course it can be the fire slayers and and any army um but you know the objective here is is around the the cornate lords and so what we have on this battle plan is the fire slayers start on one end of the map, the the invaders start on the opposite end, and down the middle of the table you draw a one-inch line, and you give a 12-inch gap in the middle of that line, which is the, the essentially the bridge with the magma dropping down the other two, uh, the opposite ends. And the... So this is what they call the lava curtain. So okay. initially, the the invader gets to decide who's going to take the first round, and then uh, you have to breach the gate. So the chaos horde is running up. The fire slayers have to hold the line, and the the fun parts of this is the the uh, powers that you get right from for each uh, battle. So the fly, fire slayers get the command ability pull back. So they get to pick a unit that's within 15 inches of the general and within five inches of the battlefield edge and remove it from the battle. And essentially what he's done is, is that he's gone down into the hold to defend it. And for each result of a six, you can disregard a wound that's been inflicted in the same phase uh, that from the uh, defenders that are guarding the hold. And the, Invader's army ability is Blazing Maniacs, so <laughs> very appropriate. <laughs> so your army gets uh, has sworn to make it to the gate no matter what. And in one of your hero phases, you can declare that your army will charge the lava wall. In that turn's movement phase, you do not need to roll... Oh, and this is important. You don't need to roll to see whether models are slain when they move through the lava curtain. In the battle shock phase of that turn, each unit that is moved through the lava curtain, though, suffers D6 mortal wounds. Now, until you have declared this this ability, any units that move through the magma curtain on a two through six for every model in the unit, they die. Oh boy! So well, yeah, it's it's, it's it's hot magma. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I get that reference. Oh, thank you. I'm glad somebody did. <laughs> I thought of that as soon as I was reading it. <laughs> Magma. <laughs> Magma. So, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, on a five or less, the model is slain. So you got to roll a six to live. Six. Oh, heroes or monsters only take D6 mortal wounds. Right. So, woof. Well, it's good to be a hero. Oh, yeah. O- only D6, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, it, um, so the way that they you win this battle, your victory conditions, is, um, of course, you as we see with all these these battle uh, the, these uh, not battle tomes but uh, battle plans excuse me um, the we don't use the victory conditions from the original rule set but you know as a fire slayers you're trying to get off the pl- off the um, into the hold to defend it and hold the line as long as possible and as a cornate player you're trying to get into the hold so the uh, you the turn it la- the game lasts for six battle turns six rounds. Uh, at the end of the sixth round, you total up the number of wounds caused on the defenders in the hold. So the way that you you actually um, do that is you need to get your corn warriors across where the magma gate is and over to the other side. And you have to essentially what you're doing is you're chasing the fire slayers down into their hold and slaughtering anyone you can find. So you build up wounds. So if an invading unit gets uh, to with one inch of the gate on the flyer site, uh, Fire Slayer's battlefield edge and, um, and not within three inches of any enemies, then the invading player can remove them from the battle and declare they've broken through the gate. And then in the combat phase of each turn, each unit that is broken through can attack the defenders within the hold. Um, and the defenders are treated as an enemy unit with a save of five plus. So you build up these this wound counter of the dwarves you're killing within their hold. And so at the, the end of the sixth turn, if that number is higher than the models uh, in the invader starting army, that um, you win a major victory. And if the number of wounds caused is less than half the number of models in the invader starting army, the fire slayer wins a minor victory. Otherwise, it's a draw. So the be- – Okay. Wow, that's a lot going on there. I, but basically, you want to try to get it's, within an inch of that battlefield edge and not have anyone around you, so that you can, so that you can go after those defenders of the gate. Right. So that you you just have that twelve inch area as as a cornate warrior that you can get through. You're trying to get your units past that line and to the the other end of the field to the you know your your opponent's backfield. And then if you can get back there and not have one of your opponents within three inches of you, you can take him off the table. And then each round after you've done that, you essentially you get to roll to see if you kill any dwarves in the hold. So you want to try to get across the field of battle as fast as possible. Okay. So that's okay. So basically, you got to get through the bottleneck. But there's one turn <laughs> where if you get them all around there, you can jump them through and just take D6 mortal wounds. Right per <laughs> unit. Per unit. If it's a large unit, yeah, okay, you can get them through. And right. then and then you got to get them to that part of the gate and keep them more than three inches away from the enemy so that you can get them to that next level which is fighting the one unit that's been sort of keep kept off the board to defend the gate exactly so okay that's that's kind of a neat 
I mean, you're like running this gauntlet just trying to get through. Yeah, they're exactly. all very fluff appropriate, but they're all very brutal. I mean, they're very appropriate yes. for the list. They're they're good they're good battles to try out, but they're also very brutal and very fire slay. <laughs> yes, yeah. I mean, it would this would be a challenging one. I, I definitely would like to play this as you know, as a corn bloodbound player and see how I could get across this. You know, get first. I have to get twelve inches across the field to the center line, get all my forces kind of you know on that starting line, ready to run across, pull that ability see how many mortal wounds i take <laughs> and how my how my units can make it you know how how will they survive through that and then try to hold up the dwarves while i send a few units past them to to try to get into the hold it's it's definitely a challenging scenario for for the attacker so now i do you think this is one where you would um where you would want even forces or is this one where it might work better if the uh, it, it seems like at least story-wise the invaders forces the invader would have more forces it does sound that way but that is not what was uh, one of the other scenarios says that the uh, attackers start with like a third more or a quarter more but this one i don't think this one did at least i didn't write it down in my notes no i mean it doesn't say anything about it that's why i was just curious as to as to mm-hmm. what, you, what you thought because sometimes yeah you but play I could, it and that might be you know different adjustments you make or something like that yeah this would probably be one yeah we play it through once and see how it goes and if if you know i felt like hey there's just really no chance of, <laughs> of me getting enough guys through here to make a difference then we might try modifying it it is a cool scenario though it is. I like that you know, you're holding the line, the defending the lodge. It's definitely one I would use for fun. You could use oh, this yes. one for fun at uh, definitely at home. Yeah. Yeah, I want to try this one next. All right, now, Kenny, you did do the next one, right? Rain of Blood? I did, yeah. So I can kind of tell you sort of the, the experience we had and, and maybe help to uh, to help, help people visualize it. Well, why don't you give us the story and the uh, and the scenario? Here's another one of the pictures that I was just sort of like, uh, you know, and like I said, yeah. I, I do like this is it's this this dwarf needs or this Dwarden needs a sandwich on page eighty. <laughs> yeah, this, he's looking a little rough there. Yeah, he's thin. This is a <laughs> if his proportions are correct, he's either he's either normal human size. For which the master engineer is going to come and thump me on the head for either say, even saying something like that, or he just really in desperate. He's like like he weighs like ninety pounds. Uh, you know, <laughs> he like, does he's look really good. skinny. Like I mean, I've never seen a dwarf who I'd call skinny boy. He's so. got like an eating disorder. You know, it happens. <laughs> <laughs> he's got like dwarven or dwarden body dysmorphia or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he just he just I live off runes. It's a, <laughs> You kind of see him like puking up runes, like I'm so fat, Blah, too much gold. <laughs> <laughs> I'm such a pig. All right, so what's the story of the rain of blood? I know it has to do with the undead, but what do we got here? Yeah, so it, what you're seeing is a story about uh, where they will go. The firesayers will go and lodge. Will, will work for gold, work for for um, a promise of reward, which to them is actually you know they're looking for ur gold as opposed to just whatever this lady has in her crypt. Uh, but so you have this lodge that's led by uh, Huskar Grimnir is the 
he's the uh, father, the room father of the lodge, and he takes like his hardiest Grimrath berserker along with his force. Uh, and a lot of the story has to deal with uh, Bregram is the the Grimrath berserker. So you see some of his action in the fluff before the battle, and they go in after this vampire, this Cassandra, uh, and she is creating just you know the usual like tides of undead. And she's really deeply rooted in this crypt, and uh, they're, they're trying. They fi- they hire the fire slayers to try and like root her out and and get her away from here. But her and her cabal of necromancers, like they keep summoning the dead, so it's not such like a, a cut and dry mission. So what what you're actually doing in the battle is you're following this journey as they go into the lair to try and and dig this vampire out, uh, and it's actually like. I describe this for like a video game, but I guess it could be like a board game too, where the board is in front of you, but you haven't gotten there yet. So it's not like the battlefield is there that I can see it. You have to like divide up ahead of time and go through this battle. So in the fluff wise, before they actually get into like the, the layout and everything, uh, you know, they have this good battle that you see and. Uh, what's his name? Bregram gets all excited. He comes in and he sees that uh, there's this area where the necromancers like raising all of this dead, and the fire slayers can't keep up with it. So he like takes it as his little mission to go over there and uh, kick their butts. And at one point, there's like this fun little visual where this necromancer you know like halts you and, and holds up his hand to do a cast a spell, and then he just lobs the guy's hand off and <laughs> cuts that off really quick. Uh, and then you have kind of this like last action hero little thing here because you have they have a terror geist that comes down and it grabs them and he flies it up and he's like breaks the terror geist uh, I think like skull while they're flying so they crash back down again and things are not going so well for the vampire as you would expect them to do because they have this like crazed Grimrath berserker that has so much prowess and uh, they actually says at one point too where uh, he takes his own like battle fury and and just kind of assumes that it's a sign from Grimnir that he should keep going. So he doesn't see any, he doesn't see any issue with this, you know. Maybe he's getting like a taint of the madness there. <laughs> so he's going and, and he's like fighting more and more. And it's a fun little. It's it's fun. Just it's very short. It's like a couple pages, but just to read like how uh, it escalates very quickly with this guy. Uh, and then they eventually they do win and they do root out all, all the you know once the necromancers go down the dead stop coming in like these like complete waves over and over again and they're able to do it. So um so what you're actually doing uh, oh yeah and there's a fun little part at the end of the two where. Uh, at the end, the magma droth, like once the battle's over, he comes over and after they he downs this terror geist that's about to go into the sky, this magma droth comes over and just like starts gnawing on its bones like a dog. So I thought that was kind of a little <laughs> fun touch. <laughs> you know? uh, and then of course it, it ends with them opening the coffin, uh, which maybe is a bit cheesy, but and they both they they look to each other and kind of raise an eyebrow and you know suggest that they found what they're looking for. At the end of the story, I get the sense that. That it is what they wanted, and not like. I feel like if it wasn't something that, that maybe the story would have had them slam the coffin, or you know, do something, or, or burn the area down. But it seems like they got what they wanted. So what you're doing in the battle is you're you're tracking this journey of uh, this rune father Huskar, and, and he's going through what they describe as like a maze. So the the battle does its best to create this as a, a playable scenario, uh, and it's actually really easy to set up. So you have uh, I'm I'm going to describe it like a realm of battle board, even though I know everybody doesn't have those. But you know your basic realm of battle with you got the two by two sections, so you have six tiles, and what you would do for this is you would take. And I think you should definitely be the one to picture too. But you would take um, the far top left one and get rid of it entirely, because that's like no man's land. And then you take the one below that, and it's cut uh, 
vertically down the center. So you have 12 inches that have your army, and you deploy all your fire sliders. That everything gets deployed. So I don't think you can. It's not. I mean, you have to talk to your opponent, but I get the idea that you're not supposed to really be tunneling because you're going down into a maze. Uh, and I would get the sense that that's probably not what what they want you to do. But you know, it's your game. Uh, and then the other 12 inches on the other side of that tile is open, and you're going to be moving into that. And the opponent, the fiend, is going to take his entire army, and the actual general is going to have to go in that fourth section. So if this was like a video game or a board game, you're working your way through these different uh, sections of the board, but the general has to be in that last one. And what you do is ahead of time, you divide up your army as the fiend. So you say squares two, three, four, and five, I'm going to put my army and divide them like this. And then when you're when the fire slayers move into that section then that army that you've already designated at the beginning will appear. So it's like going into a new room and triggering the enemies, and they have to be six inches away, and then you start. So it's kind of like, does that make sense so far? Like you're yeah. going into different zones? Yeah, uh, so this one has a, yeah this, this one has some, the, the, at least like to their credit, they do a great job of setting this up, because it was kind of confusing when we looked at it, and then we started playing and realized that we were stupid. It, it's very simple, actually. Uh, they do recommend, like you said, that you have the fiend. Has, they recommend has a at least a third more models than the fire slayers, and I think that that's uh, mo- you know models, not necessarily pull points, but that I think that's a good barometer because you're you're going to go through and the idea is that you're going to kill grunts, especially when they're divided up over these four parts. So you know you want to get the sense that there's still like a maze and these endless enemies you're drudging through. Uh, so, so it's really good to do that. They have. Uh, I think the other battles have this too, but you have a unique command ability. So for the uh, the dwar, or sorry, for the fire slayers, they have one called uh, "No Time to Linger," and it says so. You would do that in your hero phase, and then that following immediate movement phase, your general or a unit within ten inches of him can make a run, and then you would roll two dice instead of one like you normally would. So it's kind of you know trucking it with that one. Uh, the fiend has one called "Dark Vassals," where the general can use a command ability. And cast uh, or you know cast or unbinding if he's a wizard, but you can use that before setup, before he's set up on the board. So uh, think of like you know like Slan can cast through skinks as vassals. Like you can go through this node. Um, and w- w- what we had happening for that one actually, because since the general doesn't get placed on uh, the board until you get to the final section, section four, uh, my opponent put down uh, it was like a necromancer or something that he had because we wanted him to be able to use magic. So he, you can start by having uh, this phase before your guy gets sent down. So basically what you can do is cast a spell through this guy before he's actually deployed on the table. And you know, normally he couldn't do anything. So what we had him do was, um, in our game, he, we, he had a big unit of skeletons with spears. And he had um, the version of Van, Van Hell's Dance Macabre where you get to like do it attack twice. Right. And when I got hit by this guy, because we were looking through it. Let's say, okay, let's do this. And I think, you know, let's be a little extreme, see what you can do with this. Hey, cast that spell. He did, uh, his unit of skeletons with spears did 91 attacks to me. And then, per the spell, did 91 attacks again right after that. <laughs> that, that was wow. brutal. But I had 20 Fire Slayers with Volkites, and when you have 20, you have a four board save. So through those 100 and, what is it, 182 attacks, I ended up losing seven guys. So I thought that was actually pretty pretty good trade-off on my side. <laughs> and I roll like crap, so you know that. <laughs> Not bad meddling. Uh, yeah, nice, that was pretty yeah. good. <laughs> right. I like um, that yeah, they so made, we, they took... And you know that they use their realm of battle boards as their as their thing. Because you, if you look on, and if you're in the yeah. book, it's on page 88. You can see that it's a, definitely a realm of battle board. They pulled <laughs> out the one piece. But 
I like that they yeah. tried to build a dungeon crawl into a regular game. It's like not you know not just Warhammer Quest or something like that. Like, right. like everyone's like it's it's the hotness right now. But here a few months ago, they come out with this book. And, hey, try this dungeon crawl version of the game. Get your dwarves in and just start tunneling through these places, just chopping through enemy after enemy after enemy, trying to get to the general at the at the back end of this long, hard slog. It's 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 really this is a it's cool, nice. Yeah, yeah. They give you rules too that you can take. So there's rules in here like uh, you could use I think in any game. But the the idea of the fluff is you're going down, you're tunneling, like you know you set through this maze. So they have a rule in this one. Uh, with the understanding that you're underground in the underdark, this is minus one to hit if a target is between eight and 16 inches away and minus two to hit if they're over 16 inches away. So, you know, the idea that it's dark down there. Um, and then... Yeah, ranged uh, attacks it looks are as no you good. Go through. Yeah. yeah, they had the big impact. And then so that final wall that, that makes it a, a separate dungeon tile, I guess we could say, from the rest of them, you know, before you get around to the general, is that impassable wall. So there's no way to get around that. Uh, and then once... The Dwarden or the Fire Slayers, they they enter into the each of the four zones. You know, it triggers um, the opponent putting your stuff down. So when we when we played this game, he divided up his army with the intention that you know it would be stronger at the end. You'd have to kind of get. It would be easier for them to go through zones two, three, and four, and then they would have the attrition. And when the Fire Slayers reached the final one, that he'd have his powerful wizard down. But what ended up happening is that he just. He just sw- I didn't have enough models, and he just uh, swarmed over me. Even after I survived uh, 182 attacks with losing only seven guys, it's just the attrition. It wears down really fast. So it's definitely a challenge for the Fire Slayers, uh, you know, being the adventurers going through. But there's a lot of properties, I think, that are good for uh, any kind of game you want to play. So you maybe try this one out or bar- just borrow some of the rules from it. Uh, yeah, and, and to keep that whole kind of feeling too, you have at the end, uh, like once you get through zones two and three, you start getting zombies that spawn on the board, and depending how well you roll, you can get anywhere from you know a zombie that uh, doesn't quite make it out of the ground, so it just kind of freezes like a statue, to getting a zombie or two, to getting this like two d six zombies that can if you roll really high, uh, and then in the final one, you get the feel for this lair because there's all these gargoyles and statues around that this vampire has created, and uh, when you're inside, you can actually have other uh, monsters that are kind of you know being attacked by these statues and these undead creatures that come out of the wall. So even uh, it doesn't matter if you're a good or bad guy, like monsters can start getting really wrecked. They have like penalties to their saving throws uh, because of all the crazy crap that's happening in this final room. So yeah, the whole idea of the dungeon crawl, I think that it's very successful in the game and it was definitely a lot of fun. Um, I enjoyed it and I would recommend playing it. Cool. Let's see. That's oh, great I agree. Real quick, the victory conditions, because uh, this says a lot, the victory conditions. If the Fire Slayers win once the Fiend is destroyed, um, if they have 50% of their original models or more, it's a major victory. Otherwise, it's a minor victory. And then for the other side, if they win and the Fire Slayers, um, if the Fire Slayers get table be- tabled before the Fiend appears, then you have a major victory. Otherwise, it's a minor victory. So you kind of get that how... How big of a victory it was, you know, what the rule of attrition that tells you uh, really how well you run out. Very cool, very cool. Awesome. Okay, yeah, I definitely recommend this one. It was a lot of fun. Okay, and then we've got mine, uh, Shard of Pestilence. So this is uh, Fire Slayers versus Skaven. Okay, so in the land of Guerin, uh, Wither Tree Bog is stretching out for leagues, and the Arak Wood Kings have called upon. Beldrag Lodge to cut out the dead wood that has festered within their realm, okay? So these guys come out of the realm gates, and they see that it's just 
pestilence everywhere. So they split up into two, uh, two forces, and their plan is to s- go surround this big uh, shard of pestilence at the center uh, of this area, and they're going to attack it from two directions. Um, I love this. As they're going around, it's it's a bog, right? So it's all this growth. So dimly sentient mud is sucking at their bare feet. I love the description. <laughs> so it's sentient mud. This is this is better than a gelatinous cube, okay? Uh, almost at once, the bogland reacted to the fire slayer's presence. Dimly sentient mud sucked at their bare feet, while gnarled, plague-riddled trees clawed at them and spat fizzling sap. Cursing loudly, the two Fire Slayer forces hacked their way toward the Pillar of Warpstone. So, of course, the Rune Father gets there first, because you wouldn't be the Rune Father if you couldn't get there first, okay? He gets there, and there's Plague Monks and Plague Priests attacking him. The Plague Priest has got his magic going. He's climbing up on top of the Shard. He's throwing magic left and right. The Shard is starting to pulse with a light. Of course, you know, because this, you know, the Warpstone light is this pulsing magic. Um... You know, I'll leave you. I'll leave the big pulsing giant stone shard to your own imagination. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, as this is happening, the landscape starts to actually come alive as they're moving in. So the roots of these trees start to pull the berserkers down into the mud and to their deaths. All right, plague sensor bearers start to attack, and the fog from the sensors starts sizzling the skin on some of the. Uh, fire slayers they start coughing up blood into their beards as they start to fall over and die um our 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 leader grumgen grumgen grimnir he just keeps fighting through this he's been in the he has been breathing the air of his uh rune forge from the heat and the smoke of that um for ages and so he can fight through a little bit of of skaven smoke you know so he fights through this, and he's riding his magma droth, and they just plow through this thing. Um, and he's fighting through it, and uh, Erglorn, who is his uh, rune smiter, shows up on the other side, finally, while they're fighting through there. So now you got two of them. So once that happens, and then the Skaven realized that they're being attacked from the, from the rear now as well, now they're in trouble. And this is just kind of awesome. So they get over to the shard, and as they get to the shard, they thought there was just a whole bunch of dead rat bodies around it. But as they get to the shard, those aren't two dead giant piles of rat bodies. Those are two uh, HPAs. Abominations. So, yeah. So two giant abominations rise up, um, and of course they attack. Grumgen kills one. Um, his magma droth is attacking it. He's attacking it. He's fighting it. All these, it, like, completely enraged and crazed Skaven are attacking his magma droth. But as they're biting it, if they pierce the skin, that magma blood pours out and just burns their faces off and they die. So this is all going on. Um, the magma droth, between the magma droth and Grumgen, they kill it. I love as, he, as, he's, as he's hacking away at it and his magma droth is scraping at it with its four legs. They're, they're starting to, to wear it down to take big chunks out of it. And as big chunks are starting to come off of it, they finally hit some sort of a snag. And the, the parts that are stitched together, like the stitching starts to come undone. And I don't know if they caught that one thread. You know, like that one thread that suddenly like the hem in your pants just comes down. 
Yeah. But yep. like they literally, as they catch it, like that stitches all start to give. Like it just goes. And it says the stitches start to come apart through the whole thing and thousands of rats start to pour out of this thing. It's dead. The rats are pouring out all over him and his magma droth. And he's just disgusted. He's battering all these things away. He looks around. The rune smiter Unglorm has destroyed the other one. So now they're too big. You know, they're big beasties. Their, their backup plan has failed. So they've got the last of the plague monks all backed up around their shard, okay? Uh, but the, the thing is still pulsing. The power of the horn rat infuses them. They start festering. They start growing boils and poxes and gunk all over them, you know? And, and, and they start to fight even, even more. They're, they're, they, they become more vicious in their fight. Um, but of course, as they're doing this and they become more vicious fighters, you start to see, um, the, 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 the chanting starts coming on from their, um, not only from their, their, uh, their rune guy, the rune smiters, but, uh, the, um, their battlesmiths start going on and suddenly their, their, um, you know, the, the Urgold runes start to glow and the spirit of Grimnir infuses them. And they're just basically just like, oh, you think you can flare up? Let me show you what a flare up is. And they just start <laughs> pounding on these Skaven. Uh, and then both of the Magma Droths come up and like a, like a couple of faithful puppies um, jump up and bo- put their four, ar- four legs against this giant stone shard and just start smashing into it. And they start to knock it over the plague priests fall off of it and then he doesn't even get the satisfaction of killing them because the giant shard falls on them and smashes them um <laughs> it's just like i'm just picking all this the shoddy craftsmanship <laughs> yeah exactly um i like how they and the whole time as he's trying to topple this they're on top of it screeching and screaming and they're just throwing spells on them, these little poxes and stuff. And I'm just picturing them, like, whipping their arms and having these little green, you know, things flying off their fingers. And they're, like, sort of hitting them and just sort of, like, 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 break, it's like, like, like flashing and breaking against their skin. But none of it's taking hold. None of these poxes or mm-hmm. spells are taking hold on Grungeon's skin. The runes are just flaring up and the spirit of Grimnir is, like... You can take your plague and pestilence, and I think you know what you can do with it. It's just not taking hold, um, which I just love. The whole idea of the magic, even the plague magic, it's just not affecting Dwarden, which, you know, just, you know, goes with the whole history of this sort of dwarvish not being as affected by this magical stuff. Um, yeah, the way you're describing this, it really sounds like a Holy Wars table. Yeah, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You hear that, Steve? <laughs> <laughs> Get on that. Um, Gauntlet so, tossed. There you go. <laughs> so the, uh, the, the, the Fire Slayers win the day. He tells his rune smiter, find the gold that the Arak Wood Kings told us would be here. Use your sight. Because there's still that fog. It's a bog. It's foggy. But as they destroy this, the fog starts to lift a little bit. But he's like, I don't see the gold. Find it. And, of course, he uses his Urgold. You know, he starts sniffing and whatever other senses they use to find it. And he's like, um, yeah. There's no gold here. And I just love this part. I'm just going to read it straight out of the book. Um, wait, where is it? Hold on. Nope, i got to find the... I'm on the wrong page. Let me flip it here. Here we go. 
but there were only the rotting remains of the abominations and the ragged bodies of plague monks. With a scowl fit to shrivel a tree right to its roots, the rune father pronounced that the erstwhile patrons had broken their oath. Without another word, the fire slayers shook skaven blood from their axes and gathered behind their lord. One way or another, the wood kings would pay what was owed. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Payback's coming. Exactly. Like the Iron Bank. <laughs> you made a big yes. <laughs> mistake sending them out there and doing that. Now, uh, the battle plan's called Putrid Bog, and as I'm reading this... Um, I'm reading the little stuff in bold italics here. Of all the enemies faced by the Fire Slayers, the Skaven are held among the most contemptible. Although the Ratman pri- Rat prize Warpstone above all else, some have acquired a taste for Urgold and would devour a lodge's entire horde if given the chance. As such, their mere existence is seen as an affront to Grimnir, and the Fire Slayers actively seek opportunities to hunt them down. Once again, I'm reading that going, oh, no, no, no. That's not right. So in this one... <laughs> The setup is actually pretty simple, okay? Now, there's two objectives, okay? Um, the plague, the, the Skaven are trying to set off a, uh, a plague ritual. So the Fire Slayer's objective, stop the plague ritual. The, and they call it the Harbinger. The Harbinger's objective is to do the plague ritual. So it's a pretty simple objective here, okay? Um, now you each have an ability and I'll get to the abilities in a minute because right now it's not important until you understand the setup. Um, the Harbinger's territory is set up right. You set up an 18, an 18 inch radius circle in the middle of the board. So it's a pretty big circle. Okay. They're set up there in the center with their little pillar right in the center. Then the fire slayers pick one corner and they got to set up within 15 inches of that corner so they got a 15 inch quarter circle and then the opposite corner of the board because remember they were attacking from opposite ends so you pick opposite corners and you set up half of your army in each of these corners now here's how this works um first of all they said when you're setting stuff up um you can set up the scenery how you want but then you got to do some weird stuff first of all it says um, the Harbinger sets up all his units within 18 inches of the center of the board. Then they pick three terrain features other than the shard because those are called the scavenge piles. So they got to pick three terrain pieces to be the scavenge piles because that comes in at the end of the game. Then the Fire Slayer, um, after they've placed all their stuff, he decides how quickly his army is going to advance through the bog. Okay. You're either going to go cautiously, steadily, or quickly. Okay. Now, depending on how you go, and this is before you even set up. Um, if you go cautiously, that means you're moving slowly. The Harbinger, the Skaven character, gets two free hero phases right off the bat. And this is important because of this... Uh, this, the, those hero phases are when you work on your ritual. So if you're moving slowly, he's getting two... Um, you're getting two shots at preparing your ritual before the, uh, before the Fire Slayers even show up. If you go steadily, they only get one free hero phase. But you're moving quickly, so you roll 
for each unit, and on a one, that unit takes D6 mortal wounds. So that's that running through the bog, you know, that dangerous, the, remember with the, with the sentient mud? <laughs> yeah. Right. So you're moving quickly, so you're a little less cautious, so you roll for each unit, and on a one you take D6 mortal wounds, but he only gets one free hero phase to work on his ritual. If you move quickly, he gets no free hero phases, but then you roll for each unit, and they take D6 mortal wounds on a one or a two. So there you got your little risk-reward things going there. So after all of that's done, then you place your units half on each side, and you get to go first. You get uh, Fire Slayers get to go first on the first turn. Okay? Now, here's how this works. Um, in the Harbinger's Hero Phase, they roll a dice, and they add an additional die for each of their heroes within five inches of the, the Warpstone Shard in the middle of the board. If it's a hero priest, they get two additional dice, okay? Each five or more, uh, then the ritual has made one step forward, okay? At the fourth step, then then basically uh, at the fourth step, they get a bonus. Uh, roll a dice for any unit within two inches of a wood. On a four or more, it takes D3 mortal wounds. When the right makes it to the ninth step, you add two to the bravery of all Harbinger units for the rest of the battle. So you can see where this, you know, as it gets farther and farther along, um, it uh, they get more bonuses. And now, how do you topple the shard? Um, you you treat that the the shard like an enemy model, so you can charge it and attack it. You can't shoot it or take spells at it. But at the end of every combat phase, you roll two dice. If the result is lower than the number of wounds you have dealt to it in that phase, it's unseated. So you got to charge it, attack it, and if you can do um, enough wounds, you roll two dice. If you did more wounds to it, you've unseated it. Then once it's unseated, you have to attack it again in the next your next. Um, if it's already been unseated. Then, and you're, you're, so you be basically your next turn, you're in combat with it. Um, if it's been unseated, you do it again, you roll it, then you topple it. But the wounds inflicted only count for that one roll and they're disregarded. So it, they're not cumulative. So the wounds I do in this turn and I roll, if the next turn I have a crappy roll or I roll really high, it's how, only however many wounds I did in that turn. So you have to basically roll under the wounds you did two turns to knock it over got um and that's then the last thing that they say here is the fire sayers suspect that the enemy have seized a quantity of urgold and hope to find it among the piles of loot at the end of the battle you can search a scavenge pile if you have a model within three inches of it and there are no enemy models within three inches of it okay um and that's all the rules. Now, here's the victory conditions. I know there's just a lot of junk here. So um, if the warp right reaches its 13th step, it, the game's over. Major victory for the Skaven. So four, at the fourth step, they get a bonus. Ninth step, they get a bonus. Of course, at the 13th step, the Skaven win. Uh, if the shard is toppled, the fire slayers get a major victory. So there's your major victories. Otherwise, after five battle rounds, it's over. At the end of the fifth battle round, the Fire Slayer player rolls a die for each scavenge pile they can search. 
If they get at least one six, they found some ur gold, and that's a minor victory. If they find no yeah. ur gold, then the harbinger gets a minor victory. So you basically you're coming in from both sides. You're trying to topple this. Meanwhile, your opponent is trying to roll these dice and keep all these. So the more heroes and priests he's got around here, the better chance he has to getting to it. It can be lopsided depending on the list. Um, if you're playing this and your opponent wants to be a jerk and just take like six or seven heroes and keep them right in the center, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Then, yeah, I think this one, this one is very much a, a fluffy. I mean, I guess they all are, but like this is more kind of a garage game. Oh yeah, I mean it. It it really looks like it could be fun, but you have you literally have to before you come be like okay, you know, no more than like. I mean, even when you read the fluff, there seemed to be like two, maybe three um, plague priests. Yeah, I think there was like two plague priests there, you know. So if you have more than that, it seems like it's going to get lopsided really fast. Because if you take like four or five plague priests, suddenly I've got 10 or 11 dice. And on a five or more, you know, I, if I roll I, one or two good rolls and the, the game's over before you're even anywhere near me. Plus, I've got to fight my way through the whole army, get to the shards, and do the wounds and top and topple it. So, um, this is one be, that yeah, you want it to be fun for both of you, right? This is one that, a, that right. just a uh, this is one that a bad list could really just make the game not fun and over in in two rounds. But fluff wise, I just I, I think the story's cool. It looks pretty fun. Um, but this of of the of the three that we listed. This is the one where a bad list could just ruin the game right off the bat. Absolutely. So, but other than that, I think it sounded pretty fun. But you like, with the one you got to be most careful with. All right. So, um, you want to do another break and then we'll come back and go through the war scrolls? Sure. Sounds good. All right, folks. We will be back in a minute. We'll get to the part that I know that some of you have been waiting for the most. Done with the fluff. Onto the practical board gaming side. All right, we'll be back. During the long age of chaos, the Volstark Lodge guarded their forged temple deep within the fiery heart of the Salamander's spine. By the flickering light of flaming rivers, the great rune master struck Urgold runes from the bounty of the magma vaults. Countless times, the armies of the Dark Gods sought to slaughter the Volstark fire slayers, and each time the Dwarden hurled them bloody and broken back onto the scorched plains that stretched out before their gates but always the enemy returned. The Vostargs were ultimately undone, not by the cruel hand of chaos, however, but by their own avarice. When the legendary runefather Thorgar Grimnir fell to the axe of a bloodthirster, he left a dozen rune sons, but no favored successor. Thus did the Vostargs argue among themselves, each rune son convinced that he, and he alone, bore the blessings of Grimnir. With chaos still at their gates, the Rune Master divided the Lodge's Urgold among the Rune Sons, lest their fighting turn from words to blood, and bade them go their separate ways. So it is that to this day, 
The Vostark Scions can be found in many realms, while the great magma hold of Vosforge is filled with naught but ghosts. We are back, and it's time for the War Scrolls. All right, 12 scrolls, six of which are all the same, or not exactly the same, <laughs> but, you know. And then... Uh, Very similar. Yeah. Six that are all in, well, almost the same kit, basically. And then you got three other characters, and then you got three units. So... Um, Let's start with the Magma Droth. Let's start with the Magma Droth himself. How about that? Because you got three versions of him. You got the Magma Droth with a Rune Father on him. You got the you got the Father, the Son, and the Smiter on the back. Um, father, Son, and the Holy Smiter. Exactly. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and uh, I couldn't think of how to put it, but you got it for me. That works. <laughs> I like that each yeah. of these in the paint in the drawings are, are painted a little different. Well, no, actually, the father and son have the same one, but the smiter at least has a differently painted one. I like how they're at least trying to paint them different. They're not; they don't all have to look the same. They can have a lot of different uh, tones and colors on them. You know, um, this kit. When you buy this kit, the, uh, the the instruction booklet is thicker, and it's got the rules and build. So you got like the building each one, and it gives you six different war scrolls. So you have each character on foot or on the magma droth, but you get a color section for painting guides in the actual instruction booklet. Really? So it's several extra pages, and there's color in the middle. They show you like six different ways to paint it or something. When when actually wow. there's nice. like they would in a white dwarf. Nice. I haven't actually opened mine yet, so because I'm like I'm not even opening <laughs> it until I'm going to start building it. Surprise um, there for you. <laughs> that's cool. Um, I do like that you can build now if you want to you can build you can actually build I think what is it you can build uh, the model you get one on yeah you get you get one on the magma droth and two on foot so it it's it's maybe more expensive than like you know some other ones but you do if you price it out uh, you might guess to pay for heroes you actually come out in a pretty good spot with this one you can get two on foot if you put the Rune Father or the Sun on the Magma Droth. You can only get one on foot if you put the Rune Smiter on the Magma Droth. Am I correct? Because, there's, because, there's, there's, because of the way the sets of legs work. Uh, no, there's a different set of legs. So there's uh, the Rune Smiter is a single piece. And then okay. there's 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 a one set of legs that are standing and one set of legs that go on seated and whichever father or son you use you switch. Oh, so okay. you can always you always get three builds out of it. Oh, okay, I totally uh, misread it. Ma- yeah, you get the maximum use. That's that's oh, that's really nice. So if you buy yeah, if you get two of these, okay, that's just that's too great. That's too awesome. Yeah. All right, so the Magma Droth itself, um, it's got a bunch of abilities. Um, it can. Uh, it's got a shooting attack. On the shooting attack, pick an enemy in 15 inches, um, and then roll some dice. If it's less than the number of models in the unit, it takes D3 mortal wounds. If it's within five inches, it's D6 mortal wounds. So that's yeah, this nice. thing is nice. Now here's the thing: that's the roaring fire stream. Um, that's actually 
you get more dice, the more wounds it takes. That's like it just gets angrier. Uh, well, well, not exactly. Uh, do, have I jump in here just for a sure, quick second? Sure, go sec? ahead. What, so I wrote this down. When we're done with the scrolls, we'll talk about tactics and synergies and combos and things like that. But I had to write this down and, and like highlight it on my own notes to, to make this clear. So the, the Magma Droth does three things. But what you need to roll is different, and so when you get injured and you get less, you get you have to roll more dice. You're not going to be able to actually roll the lower numbers that you need. If that makes sense, right? Yeah, you so want to like, roll, roll need, more, um, but he's getting angrier. Just it's like I said, yeah, that that fire. He's just roaring more, and that's actually what I meant. I just said it poorly. <laughs> so yeah, because you for mag for the spewing of magma, you need to roll equal to or under the mo- number of models in your target unit. Um, so like if they have one, you got to roll one. And then when your tail is lashing around at the end of combat, you have to roll more than, oh, sorry, less than the number of models in the unit. And then when you bleed, you're rolling less than the number of wounds you took. So it's like, it's a little confusing, but there's three different like targets you have to do depending on what attack you're doing. Gotcha. And it gets harder to do that as you get damaged. Right, you're uh, always trying to roll low. Uh, yeah, but, so, but when you, I, I mean, this isn't tactics this is just the model when you get into combat and you and you uh, are going to be shooting and attacking it's it's good to at least have one target within three inches that has bigger uh, more models right so like if you're like our game on saturday like i'm fighting a, a unit of blood letters and a chaos corn uh the, the, the do with the whip and the do with the standard i'm like okay i want to make sure i do the one on the blood letters where i can attack because it's they have more than there's like four there's like six guys in there so it's going to be successful but i don't want to do that on the other two guys because i have to roll at least a two and there's one guy you know so you have you get to kind of pick around and have some um have some variety with what you do um and yeah i'm probably gonna i'll probably i haven't done this yet actually surprisingly but i call them magma bombs kind of people call them a bombs and i don't mean to do that but it's just kind of coming to a tactic so i will try and say magma droth but if I say magma bomb, I'm talking about a magma droth, and it's I'll okay. explain that later. <laughs> no problem. Yeah, um, so that's so they they talk. They, I love it. They they communicate with their tails, and like so they get angry, or maybe do like a little love tap and say hi with their tails too. A very confused species. Interesting. Nice. <laughs> um, like like most carrot like most uh, other big creatures, uh, as they take wounds, their movement goes down. Uh, their claw and horn attacks, the amount of attacks goes down, you know, as they take more damage. Um, all in all, it's not a bad, not a bad monster. Um, I just, I love the kit. It's like this, got this weird Chinese dragon look to it. Um, I want to say, I, I feel like I did the math. I, I want to say there's like 16 to 18 possible head combinations. You get, you have a, you have two necks, you have two legs. It's like you look in the pictures. Uh, the front left leg is either up or down, and then you have like you have a neck that goes more straight or a neck that turns to the left, and then you build the head. There's a, there's a crown, and then there's two layers of horns, uh, and some are kind of like the blood letter horns, but on like larger scale. So you actually have lots of different combinations from the one kit to make your guys look different. Well, that's cool. Yeah, so I think it's, it's, I think it's sixteen combinations or something. Nice. Yeah, you got options. Kenny doing the math. All right. So yeah. now <laughs> you got three options uh, to who who to put on this giant magma droth if you're going to do it. Um, you got the father, like you said, the son, and the rune smiter. <laughs> um, 
Now, the difference really being what their command ability is, because I think if correct, let's see. Um, yeah, because if you put them on foot, their regular abilities are the same. Uh, Rune Father on foot has the stare down and the weapon breaker. The Rune Smiter on foot has the runic empowerment. Um, it's basically that. Uh, it's that. Uh, it's well, not the. Com oh, it's a, they, they each have one different ability when they're on the magma droth that changes when they're on foot. Right. So. Um, do we just want to talk about um, like each of the characters and then what the difference is between the magma droth and being on foot? Because I mean, you know, we mm -hmm. kind of explain what the yeah. magma droth is. So yeah, makes sense. Now okay. the the rune father, he's got that giant latchkey grand axe, which isn't bad. Three attacks, uh, three damage, one rend, which is actually three damage isn't bad, is it? Um, and he's got the throwing axes because they all carry around throwing axes. It's only one attack, but hey, if you can throw an axe, throw an axe, right? Yeah, it's the nerf. Uh, I, I always call them the nerf axes, like like little foam nerf. <laughs> because like they, I tell my opponent, like I tell you what, I'll let you know if you need to make a save. <laughs> yeah, hitting on threes, they, they on fours, one damage, no rend. Yeah, they're that's not going to do anything. That's more of a distraction. Yeah, yeah. Then it's better than than a troop. Yeah. So, um, let's see. What does the Rune Father have with him? He's got the stare down. So, pick a unit within three inches, and they subtract D3 from their bravery until the next hero phase. That's actually pretty awesome. Um, and then he's got his weapon breaker. So, if he attacks, or if he is attacked by a hero or a monster, and he saves with a six or more, then roll another dice, and on a four or more, then that attacking weapon is damaged for the rest of the battle, and the opponent has to re-roll successful hits with damaged weapons. So yeah. that's actually pretty cool. Yeah, that seems. I don't know. Good spot for uh, re for being able to re-roll your saves. This is a good. That's a good combo. Yeah. So those two things he's got all the time. So that's just stock standard. So then here comes the split. Now, when I'm when we were talking about this earlier, and I was saying you know we could discuss whether or not you, he's more fun to take on foot or on a magma droth. Now, obviously, the magma droth is, is a bigger model and has all those extra attacks. Um, but I mean that aside, I'm just talking about which which ability would be more useful in on the table. And so I'm just I'm I'm just going to throw them out there and see what you guys think. Uh, if he's on the magma droth. Uh, basically, what his ability is, um, his and this is the, the command ability. The other guys don't; they're not command. You know, it's not command abilities. They're just regular um, ability. Oh, it is actually Rune Sun does too. So his command ability. Let's see. Um, you can until your next hero phase, re-roll save rolls of one and battle shock tests for fire slayer units. Within 20 inches. What is that? Oh, that's the computer. Sorry. Oh, okay. Um, My dad. I was like, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, okay. So, reroll, save rolls, save rolls of one, and battle shock test for fire slayers within 20 inches. That's actually pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's just really good. So, uh, when he's on foot, then 
Uh, fire slayers within eight inches of the rune father can move up to five inches when piling in. In addition, each time the rune father takes a wound or a mortal wound, take a fire slayer unit within three inches of him and roll a dice, and on a four or more, the fire slayer unit takes the wound instead of him. Hey, look out, sir. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's a look out, sir roll, isn't it? Uh, and if yeah. you've got guy, and then they can and they can take the save on it. It doesn't say they can't. So it's basically, uh, you know, it's an, it's another uh, it's another chance to just keep him alive. Um, yeah, he. I mean, the, the whole army is really about like synergy with heroes and units, and you, you see more when you get if you take some of the, the battalions. But but both of these, he has a, a bubble uh, in the twenty inch one. I've start, I've been using it more often, and especially like in our big three-way game on Saturday, like twenty inches really is useful because you know it's essentially I guess forty inches on the board. Um, and if you have to, if there's like a big objective or table quarters or something, it's really good to have that in there and and have your infantry around that. Um, so I, I like it on the magma draw. The, the, going to twenty inches really is actually better than it sounds. Well, considering the board is 48 inches wide, you've basically almost across the entire narrow width of the board if he's in the middle. Yeah, you got options. Yeah. 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 So on the Magma Droth, and plus 20 inches, how wide is that base? I mean, you're you're literally almost the entire width of the board at that point. Oh, yeah, I guess you would be. Yeah. Almost, yeah. And, and, you know, the the extra pile-in move, it's nice, but... I don't think it compares. <laughs> yeah, you need. I found myself locked on that a lot. When when you take uh, some kind of formation or something that lets you do extra pile, and it can be great. But thirty-two inch bases and, and whatever your opponent has. Well, and it's uh, not even an extra easily. pile in. It's just your pile in becomes five inches, so you can move instead farther. of three. Yeah, yeah. It's um, you know being able to move your wounds off is good. But it it, yeah. it 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 only happens half the time. It's on a four up, so you know that's half the time with six wounds when you've already got, uh, you know, you you're you're running around with twelve wounds on this guy. I'm thinking the rune father on the magma droth trumps rune father on foot almost every time, oh, yeah. doesn't he? Yep. I think so, yeah. And personally, I never like powers that are activated because I'm getting wounded. <laughs> no, that's Fair true. Enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, rerolling save rolls of a one, especially when you got guys here who can have saves of four, and if you suddenly get them into terrain, you've got saves of three rerolling ones. Yeah. That's- yeah, they're... All three of the, I guess I should just point out right now, all three of the heroes on the Magma Droth and off are very squishy. There's there's no ward saves uh, like, like you, you might get accustomed to, or equivalent of a ward save, basically. So um, you, you're going to take damage, but on the, on the Magma Droth, you have a better command ability, in my opinion, and you also get to bleed on your enemies. And it's one of the, we don't have a lot of output for mortal wounds, so that Magma Droth bleeding is a huge advantage. And uh, I will make sure that you all take use of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that seems like a thing, great yeah. benefit. Yeah, it really is. So let's go to the next one, the Rune Smiter. Now, he doesn't have a command ability. He's just got an ability. Um, once per battle, he can use some Urgold and unleash a wave of energy 
Until your next hero phase, re-roll failed wound rolls for Fire Slayer units within 10 inches of the Rune Smiter. So once per battle, you can do this for, you know, during your uh, doing, and it's basically good for one turn, which isn't bad. On foot, well, actually, this is the guy that I think might be better on foot. I knew I liked someone better on foot. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, because that, that's okay. Okay, so you get to reroll failed wound rolls, which is nice. The Auric Rune Smiter on foot, this is where the guy goes. Um, you can basically not set him up. You can basically take him and one other unit and put them and say that they're com- they basically tunnel like the old miners. Yeah, they become miners. <laughs> yeah. Um, they can come up during any movement phase. Within three inches of each other, so he's got to be within three inches of the unit and not more than nine inches away from the enemy. That counts as their movement. So, boom, here I am, nine inches away from the enemy, and that's my movement phase. And suddenly, the rune smiter is right there. Um, that's not bad, especially if you give him the. Uh, he can instead of having the runic iron, which is an, an extra weapon. He can take the key, and if he has that key, then in the hero phase, he can pick a unit of fire slayers within 10 inches or 20 inches. Or t- well, actually, he doesn't even need the key. It could be 20 inches if he has the key, 10 inches without it, and they mm-hmm. can reroll failed wound rolls. So, boom, you pop up with some of your crazy guys, and suddenly they're rerolling to wound. Yeah, this is the, this is the case where like I'm running this too, where I have two magma dross, I have a father build on one, a son build on another one, and I'm one a third rune smiter, so I'm trying to look at eBay or something <laughs> to find just the guy because you can get most of the comps you can get the three types, and the rune smiter um, I've taken two, I've been using two recently, and it's just amazing to be able to, to tunnel in to pop up nine inches, especially if you take um, I've been using a lot with a unit of twenty volkite berserkers. So you come up, you're nine inches away. Uh, if you're doing South Coast or most things, you can charge when you come on the table. And with the Volkite, you get the horn, you get to reroll one of the dice. So you have a better chance of rolling that nine-inch charge and, and getting in there right away. Oh, that's so good. Beautiful. So, so you take both. You miss your hero phase. Yeah, you, you, you basically you come in on movement phase. So you would miss your hero phase to do the key thing. Okay. But if, next round, you could do that. But so you're but you taking two rune smiters and two units, both of them off the board, and then they both pop in. Yeah, I, I tend to use the unit. Of, I, I always take a unit of twenty. I used to always take the. the uh, I would take the, the Hearthguard Berserkers or the Orc Rune Smiters to get like the shooting more in place. But I find taking taking the bigger units, uh, you, you get you get them in much better threat range. We're a slower army, so you have better chances of getting across the board if you need that for objectives or war machines or whatever. Um, and you also remove a giant target that could get shot to crap in the beginning of the game. So it's uh, it's why they, when you look at the different uh, comp systems, the the rune spiders are just a bit more, more expensive than the other heroes. Like they're six instead of five, which you know makes it hard to build a list sometimes. But it's justified. The tunneling is is amazing. It's, no, it's really see, good. Yeah, putting up one uh, if if you can do it, man. Putting up like like in that like in that. Uh like in that third battle plan, just pop one up on each side, and then you got a Malachi Crunch going on either <laughs> side of these yeah. two guys. Oh yeah. No, seriously, that could be brutal, especially with those Volkite Berserkers, because with the having well at least twenty of them. So if you have over twenty of them, maybe even just to make sure that you, that you get it, that basically what's a four up ward. 
Oh. Yeah, I always, I always, I recommend starting if you can with a unit of twenty because, like, you weather that first hit and that first hit, you know, having the four board because as soon as one guy dies, it goes to a five up, uh, and it's it's important in the beginning too because like it just ch- it usually changes my battles and I mean I, it was one that I beat the, I beat Archeon and his his uh, three knights and everything because those knights should have just plowed the, over that unit but the four ward saved saved me and I t- it tied him up for like two rounds of the game and it was a huge difference. So would you take more than twenty then just to make sure that even if you lose a couple you still have that four up instead of the five up? I, I've made the list, but I haven't run it yet. I've, I've okay. been running. I usually I've been running two units of twenty. And once I ran a unit of ten of the guys with the shields, but I, I haven't really. I suck at dice rolling, so I always take the double <laughs> weapon so I get the reroll. And if you and with all these synergies, you have reroll to hit, reroll to save. So I mean, you get all your rerolls and you get the ward save. And you know the army's about large blobs of infantry and, and the different synergy of these like centerpiece models that are helping each other out. So you, you get kind of this chain. One might say a tapestry of dwarven battlecraft or dwarven <laughs> battlecraft. It works on so many levels. Yeah, Rune Spider is good. So he's coming in on foot. There's no reason really to put him on the Magma Droth because that ability is just not worth it. And then you got the the father or the son on the on the Magma Droth. Okay, so let's see the son on the Magma or Droth. Or both. Or both, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I guess there's there's a battalion that you need the the rune smiter on the magma droth, so that's that's the only one that I could really oh, think okay. of right. But I'm not taking that anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's see. Then you got the sun. Now, what are the sun's abilities? The sun has the, uh, um, yeah. He, this here's the where this, the explosive rage of the sun. Pick an <laughs> enemy unit. Oh, and this is where you have to insult the unit. Um. Uh, until your next hero phase, you can re-roll to hit rolls of one when the rune sun attacks the unit. In addition, if the battle shock test is made for the unit before your next hero phase, add one to the result of the dice roll if you can deliver a characterful insult. Yeah, this is where they started throwing in that whole, you know, the the, the doing stuff on the table that's not actually doing stuff, you yeah. know, actual game mechanics. I'm still not a fan of that. Like and I would do it too. I'll throw out an insult. I'll even put on a fake, terrible dwarf accent. Not that I'm any good at it. But, you know, I'll do it, but I understand people who don't want to, and that's I just you yeah. know, not everybody wants to LARP while they're playing. And I and so I <laughs> it's get true. You know what I'm saying? That's just that's uh, you know it's kinda of Monty Python and Well and here's the thing. When they came out with this back when they when they first came out with the scrolls and they had all the dopey rules in there, like if your mustache is awesome, you get extra bonuses. I was just like, you know, I would do it, but I could just see how many people didn't want to, especially when there's people playing like my daughter who will never have the better mustache than me. Right. You know, you know, I don't care. That was my first game. I, I couldn't. I had a dwarven battle standard, but I couldn't use him because I was, I was playing Conzie and I don't have a beard. He has a beard. <laughs> I can't. I have a battle standard, but I can't do his power. So, yeah, and, but, you know, but I also like that there's a lot of common sense in the community and they just said, you know what, you just just take the ability like you don't it does that. Just just take the ability. It, it, you don't have to be silly. Uh, what else does he have here? Uh, Worm Slayer Javelins. OK. Um, add two to the damage of a Worm Slayer Javelin if you're shooting at a monster. Oh, OK, blah, blah, blah. That's 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 his. Yeah, his his javelins. If you shoot at a monster. So what's his command ability? Um this this guy is a this is a big difference between his his being. You just say Ken. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Being on foot. Oh yeah. Uh, he, he, this is a huge difference. When this guy's on foot, 
uh, as his command ability, you get uh, basically you get to use your command ability if you're the general. And then until your next hero phase, um, you can reroll failed to wound rolls for the rune sun and any of your units within 15 inches of him if you're attacking models that have a wound three or more against if you're even if you're putting in a tournament list or just a regular list against ogres chariots uh, lots of knights anything that's going to have three or more wounds this guy as a general in there suddenly changes everything because you get like this crazy um this crazy big bubble and you can reroll fail to wound saves so they have so to have this a wound characteristic like, of three or more for both the Rune Sun and any Fire Slayer units. Right. So, so if you're like, I keep this guy in my list, and if I play ogres or uh, chariots or tomb kings or knights or whatever, I pop him down as the general, and it's a whole different story now. And that's oh, that's the one on foot. On foot, yeah. Yeah, on foot. So yeah, so yeah, okay. Um, that, yeah, that is a huge difference. Yeah, that is cool. between this for guys with wound characters. Yeah. Yeah, nice to actually keep. Yeah, you know, if you have that sideboard, if you're playing in that style, that's that's perfect. Um, but if he's on the magma Droth, basically you get to roll three dice uh, and discard the lowest for any fire slayer units within ten inches of the rune sun when they charge. So rolling three and discarding the lowest isn't bad for the charge. Um, generally, that's a I, that's probably a better one. Uh, unless, of course, like you said, you're fighting against someone who is, uh, you know, that could, yeah. you know, it, like you said, yeah, keep it in your sideboard because if they're playing a monster mash, you don't even have to have a, like an ogre list. You can just have a bunch of monsters or guys who mm-hmm. got maybe a big, uh, like a bigger cav list or something like that. Someone you even just, chariots. I mean, yeah, even against like um, yeah, well, I know tomb kids, but uh, things that have chariots or uh, some some of the knights have three or more wounds depending on what army they're from. And, yeah. It's nice to have in there. All right, so that's basically okay. We, so we've got six in a row here. So uh, recap the first half of these guys, um, and then uh, you know I think we'll do the yeah. We got the first half of these guys done. We'll take a quick. Uh, now nah, you know just keep going. Uh, no, no, don't need another break. Um, so we got the Rune Father on the Magma Droth trumps Rune Father on foot. Because yep. he's awesome. Uh, Rune Smiter Agreed. on foot trumps Rune Smiter on Magma Droth. And mm-hmm. Rune Sun Agreed. is situational. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> That's it. <laughs> definitely the father is on the Magma Droth. The Smiter is on foot. And the son, you, you have them both in the pool choices. And you place it as necessary. If you've got... Uh, Someone with with a high wound characteristic, maybe throw the guy in on foot there, or maybe mm-hmm. one of each. Yeah, since he has lots of sons, as you pointed out earlier. Yeah, see how the fluff, how how they compete in in their different tactics, this, this all works out. <laughs> because seriously, the rune son. I mean, any character is going to have more than three wounds, and if he's a particularly tough mm-hmm. character, just tossing him out there with some with some of your units, your basic guys, just making sure you get those those wound rolls in is really actually quite good. I'm yeah, so people this. that maybe use a, a, a Grand Alliance order and mix up their armies, if they have, like, I mean, if you had, like, a Rune Sun on foot as your general and you had, like, Stormcast in there, whatever, I mean, you, you, there's, there's lots of ways you can make this work, uh, especially in a Grand Alliance, to, you know, just ha- you have even more punch. 
Yeah, because we're already re-rolling save rolls, re-rolling wound rolls with these guys between the bunch of them. So this is actually oof, already we're doing a bunch of stuff. So um, shall we jump onto your favorite, the Grim Wrath Berserker? Oh yeah. <laughs> Here so we go. this guy's this got the guy. highest bravery in the army. Bravery nine. I mean the yep. the father has an eight. The other guys have sevens. And then you got this yeah, guy this comes guy's in. Got a nine. This guy's like, yeah, forget the rest of you. Six wounds, more wounds than most of the guys. So yeah, yeah um, he's got six wounds. And uh, so what do we get here? Gosh, this guy is pretty good. Four, atta- <laughs> four attacks with his melee weapon, hitting and wounding on threes, one rend, D3 damage. He's oh, also got the throwing the axe. <laughs> Everyone's got this throwing axe. One attack, eight range, three to hit, four to wound, one damage, no rend. It's, it's See the nerf axes. They are. You're, fat. You're, like, you're throwing at your enemy, and your enemy's like, ow, that's slightly annoying. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> One hit my glasses. <laughs> That's the distraction. See, when that thing is, I mean, because seriously, if an axe is coming at you, nerf axe or not, in the middle of a battle, you flinch. <laughs> You're like, stop and it. Stop when it. you flinch, that's when I hit you with this great axe that does the D3. Right. There's one of the, one of the battalions lets you fire your throwing axes twice, like in each turn. So I think it's each turn. So lots of nerf axes coming your way. <laughs> okay. So let's look at his abilities. Um,. Every time he takes a wound or a mortal wound, roll a die, adding one to the roll for each enemy unit within three inches. And if the result is six or more, he feels no pain. Or, I mean, so, he's too enraged to notice the wound and it has no effect. Right. This is So, basically, I'm going to refer to him as ward saves because that's what we've just been using. Yeah, basically. Uh, remember, so this guy, this guy has lots of treasures. And Sorry, I'm just going to say this real quick. This uh, this movable ward save, like this adjustable ward save, is I always tell my players how it works or my puns before we start. But he gets a better ward save as more enemies get around him. So, uh, like the, the the best I got was like a, a three up or a two up or something because like my enemy was playing Seraphon and they kept swarming around me and delivering new enemies or units that were passing by or piling in and moving over, and this guy wouldn't die. Because he was giving me like a better word save the more he piled around me. <laughs> That's a great. Yeah, so, yeah. Think of, yeah, wow. adding one to the roll, and it's got to be right. the result has to be a six or more. So if you've got three units around you, right. So adding, you're down. You're down to a, is a That's six, a three uh, up because you only need because yeah. you're adding three to the dice. So three units within three inches is a three it's up. Three. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, he's going. And then his uh, you know, when he. He, so basically, he can attack a maximum of three times, and and I've had this work where it's just beautiful. But so you attack once, and you roll and you do your damage. So you do d3 wounds. So let's say for me, I have bad dice roll, so I tend to like I roll four dice, one hits, and then maybe it wounds or maybe it's not. Most people, normal people, would have more average luck and have better shots. But once you you do damage, you then roll again. To try and get equal to or under that, like say I did four wounds, I roll again and I roll one, two, three, or four. Then I get to attack again. I get to pile in one more time and attack same way one more time. And then when you pick your orders of battle, like you want to have them go earlier because if your opponent kills him, then you get to go on a two up. You get one more screw you as you die, one more pile in, one more attack. So you can do a max of um, what is it? You can do thirty six wounds if everything works out for you in one round. That's right, because with the D3 damage, even if you 
did just it did a couple of wounds. You got to roll less than that on a D6, but you got a good chance that you're doing a lot of wounds, aren't you? Wow. Yeah, you this really... uh, that's impressive. It was a Deathmaster Snitch and Vermin Lord Deceiver came over. They got tied up for two rounds against two different Grimrass. They killed the Grimrass and the Grimrass killed both of them on the way out. <laughs> wow. Those Deceivers are are tough too. I mean, I've, I've seen them on the table. <laughs> yeah, this guy, wow. you want to, you want to th- really choose your combat. These guys are, are great uh, for lots of reasons, but you think about your combat uh, order of combat and the tactics when, when you're playing. Yeah. The order of order of attack and stuff like that is, is always important. And it's, it's becoming up more apparent the more I play that that becomes super important. But with these guys, it seems to be uh, with, it really important. I've even noticed um, with some of this stuff, uh, some of these different abilities. Um, what was it? Uh, oh, with the Rune Sun. If you put the Rune Sun on the Magma Droth, the way it's worded is, uh, you know, they can roll the three dice and discard the lowest. Uh, for any Fire Slayer units in your army that are within 10 inches of the Rune Sun when they charge. Well, he's a Fire Slayer unit, so he can use his own ability. Mm-hmm. So if you were uh, charging with a whole bunch of stuff, okay, you could charge with all the guys within 10 inches of this unit first, then charge with him. Then if he if his charge takes him close to the guys who haven't charged yet, suddenly they're within 10 inches of him. They suddenly get the ability too when he's done moving because it's not just at the ability. It's just with, are within, within 10 inches when they charge. Oh, yeah. So I was thinking about that too. It, it, you really got to pay attention if you're using him in that ability. You got to pay attention to the order that you're doing stuff in. Charge everybody near him first, then charge him towards something. Hopefully, in the direction of stuff that hasn't charged yet, because you just exp- you, you've just expanded the range of that ability. Yeah, and you don't want to block your. I, I did that last game. I blocked myself off. I blocked my <laughs> unit with a big magma droth. Yeah. You droth blocked yourself. I. <laughs> <laughs> got you. I want I that to be a nice pun. <laughs> Drop blocked. blocked. I got you. All right. So now we're to the Auric Rune Master. And uh, and just a uh, just a little la- la- Latin lesson. You know, or Aurum is gold is Latin for gold. So anybody who didn't know that, I'm just throwing out the the language lesson because. I was telling that to Harrison, and he was like, I know, Dad, I took Latin 1, you made me, so. <laughs> just throwing in more stuff that they threw in here, just because everything has to do with gold or fire, so. Uh, okay, you know what? I got I got beef with this Rune Master, because he's got one awesome thing and one thing that seems really crummy. Like, I'm sorry, this Holy Seeker thing? Um, yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's only benefited me once. So... After you set up, the opponent picks a unit from there, and your opponent gets to pick the unit. So yeah, you get to pick a, it's their general yeah. or Bastilodon or something like yeah, that. So I'm going to be playing against Christian, who's got his already psychotic units in his Corn Bloodbound army, and he picks one of them, and they get to reroll wound rolls of one for the game. And then yeah. if my Rune Master gets within ten inches of it at the end of any movement phase. 
Then for the rest of the battle, add one to the attack characteristic for any weapon used by fire slayers. So it's like I run up within 10 inches. Everybody can now, oh, look, there's the gold, and then get away from them because they're still re-rolling ones to wound, which is actually pretty good, for you know, especially if you're picking your best because you're not going to pick someone crummy, you know? So it's like, oh, they're really giving them a good bonus. And yes, you still get to add one to the attack characteristic of any weapon. But that's just, I'm like, oh, boy. Like, why are they getting a bonus? Yeah, this one I had to read a couple times to make sure I I actually read it correctly. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm still not even figuring out why in the fluff, why are they getting the bonus to wound, unless I'm so focused on the gold that I can't pay attention. And that's the only thing I can think of. Like, the Urgold is distracting me from fighting, and I can't pay attention, and so they're actually getting a better chance to wound me. I think, like, the, like the essence of Grimnir and his fury uh, is, is fueling them, but I mean, that's what I think they mean, but it's not really explained. So, like, I, I kind of feel like if that's the deal, that there maybe should be another sentence or something in this, you know. Yeah. It sucks to have somebody else benefiting from your gold. Yeah, like I'm giving Corgus Cole rerolls of one all of a sudden. Yeah, because yeah, he picked up my wallet, you know. Because he's already got that <laughs> render of reality or whatever it is. I don't need that. That doesn't work for me. Uh, Volcanoes <laughs> yeah. call. This is oh. awesome. This, I love this. Like this makes this actually makes it worth putting up with the other thing almost, depending on how good. Because I know, yeah. <laughs> Christian, you'd put it on Corgo's cool, and then I'd be mad at you. But so. right, of course. <laughs> so this where this is, but this is right out of the fluff because you've got the 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 heart of the forge in the you know you're carrying it with you, and you bang that thing on the ground, and you're literally calling up magma and lava out from the earth to attack your enemies. So you pick a terrain feature within twenty inches. Once again, twenty inches. So basically, the the width of the narrow edge of the board almost. Um, roll a dice for every model within an inch of the terrain feature, and I'm assuming being on it is within an inch of it. Right. Uh, for every six, that model's unit suffers a mortal wound. No, and it's the model. It's model per model. Yeah, but you're rolling for every model, but for right. every six, the model's unit suffers a mortal wound because you can't give out, you know... Well, wound to different models. It's got to you. Got to just pile it on the unit. So right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, in addition, until the next hero phase, roll a dice for any model that makes a run or charge move across or finishing on the terrain feature. So if you run or charge on this feature, on a one, you die. That's yeah, brilliant. That's the that's. that's why the, I want a second one of these. <laughs> that's yeah. I'll, I'll save it when we do tactics at the end, but yeah, there's, there's a lot to do with this one. So you yeah, totally it gives you control of the board. Yeah, so you, I'm, I'm assuming you have at least one of these in your army? I I do, and I, I'm about to get a second one, but then Warhammer Quest released uh, the, the pack of the four characters, and it's got him and a Stormcast and a yep. Slaughter Priest, and then like a... So I'm, I'm thinking, like, do I want to just spend the extra 20 bucks and get three more characters? I probably won't use them, but... Are, do you know. play Warhammer Quest? 
I mean, I will more often, but yeah, well, it's kind of like that's what I, I did actually because I have Warhammer Quest, and I actually wanted the I I wanted to pick up the uh, Stormcast character, and that character is like forty bones, and so for an extra five bucks a character, I got the other three, <laughs> yeah. and I wanted this guy anyway. So actually, for the two the cost of these two models, it was cheaper than to buy those two models separately, which I wanted to buy both of them anyway. It was cheaper than that, and then I got the other two to play Quest with. I'm like, oh, well, I'll buy that set then. That works. Yeah, nice deal. Yeah, um, it is. Yeah, this power, I mean, we'll save it for the end, but this power has it just more implications. It's got more effect that you wouldn't realize until you play it and you have some experience. It does It does things. There's there's a whole psychological element to this. Uh, right, that well, works I can't, I can't wait to hear it, so let's get through this then. Okay, Battlesmith. Um, here we are. Here's here's our, 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 our warrior poet. Um, in the battle phase, or in the hero phase, he raises the icon. Uh, all Fire Slayer units within eight inches fighting to the bitter end. Until the next hero phase, those units, including the Battlesmith, cannot retreat, but can reroll failed save rolls. So that's Fantastic. pretty cool. Now, there's any, it's just save rolls. So those ward saves that these characters pick up, they can reroll those too, right? Uh, I don't think so. Or are they just save rolls? They're not considered saves. Oh, they're not considered save rolls? Yeah, this is just regular saves. Oh, just regular saves. Okay, I didn't know. Um, I mean, we're, we're calling it word save. Just oh, but it's not considered a save, I see. Oh, because that's not a save. It's just ignoring the wound. Okay, so. Oh, okay. Right. So it's still good, though, especially with guys, mm -hmm. you know, if they're in terrain or something like that. Is that plus one to. Okay, so none shall defile the icon. This one's a little weird because if uh, you could kind of get screwed, you could kind of get your guys stuck out of the game. Um, potentially, you can, but this is you know there's there's tactics and strategy for this one too. <laughs> okay, well this is what I want to hear because this one I haven't played yet, and this one I'm like, oh, you could kind of get stuck. So um, if this model is slain, any fire slayer units within five inches can swear to protect the fallen icon. They cannot move for the rest of the battle other than to pile in, but you can reroll fail to hit and wound rolls for their attacks. So you don't have to, but you can basically say, I'm going to protect the icon. So if this guy gets killed, I can't move except to pile in for the rest of the game. So I'm stuck there. So if my opponent stays away from this unit, this unit is just like do-do-do-do-do-do-do. But rerolling failed to hit and to wound rolls. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, what, what you, what, what basically what I, what I found out after a couple games that, and this is like tactics we talked on the fireside or the other you know, fireside group. Um, it's and it was hard for me as a fluff player to do this. I, I had to really like kind of pass my own threshold to be able to do this. But in games where you're defending objectives, you this guy sacrificing him in a specific spot within you know units that, that, that you need to defend that objective but maybe they're not the best you don't have that many in your in your unit all of a sudden um this is good to to basically have that character sacrificed to then trigger this, these uh, rest of this unit to give them the bonuses because you weren't going to have them run anyway you want them to hold this objective so it helps them defend it better so uh -huh. that has been he's a hero going into it so all the synergy most of the synergy in the fire slayers is between heroes and units. So your Auric Hearthguard would benefit from plus one to hit, uh, or your your Hearthguard Berserkers will get a four board save instead of a six board save 
just by having this guy in that radius because he's a hero. It doesn't matter which hero it is. So this, there are uses for this, but it took a while to find. But sacrificing him, same thing with the Magmadras, I, it, it sucks to say, but is a, is a great tactic. And I found one of the most useful ones, and your opponent usually doesn't quite expect it. I didn't think I'm about sure. that. If you're holding an objective, you've got these guys around the objective, let this guy die, and suddenly they're rerolling hits and wounds. And so people coming up to go after him are dying in droves. Yeah, it's a boost you need to defend. I mean, it's again, there's table control. You can do a lot with this one. Cool. But I found I found that that is that's the best use I found through practice, and that I've discussed with other players. Okay. Okay. Listen, now we do need to take a break. We've been on for a good forty minutes, forty five minutes here. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll hit the three actual unit units, and then uh, and then we'll talk uh, we'll talk uh, synergies and all that stuff. And then we'll wrap it up with the uh, battalions because I think, you know, a lot of us, especially with certain, uh, I know at least locally, the, our, our, uh, our tournaments haven't been allowing the battalions. So we'll talk synergies <coughs> and stuff like that. And then we can talk battalions when we're done because they're a slightly different animal. So we will be back in just a moment. Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is the one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your favorite gamer may want. Board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there, as well as books, charms, incense, crystals, and other unique gifts. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program, or check out their gaming and events calendars in-store or online. From Tuesday night War Machine and Thursday Board Game Night to Friday Night Magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Gray's Lake. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. Chaos Orc Superstore. Chaos Orc Superstore. That's right, folks. Chaos Orc Superstore. Your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted boarded miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Org Superstore, what you see is what you get. All right, so we're back, and we're going to get into the uh, the meat. We'll have uh, the most populous uh, warriors that we have, the Volkite Berserkers. No, we'll um, the and, and, you first, know, you know, like this is the proper order, yeah. like you know, like unlike in the fluff. So, all right, and, and we don't discriminate if if, if it's a Grimwrath or if it's a Volkite Berserker that has an eating disorder, or maybe um, <laughs> body dysmorphia or depression. Uh, <laughs> Or, or maybe like you know, inflammation at any part of his body. It's okay. We don't mind that. It's okay. We, we Listen, accept them all. We'll, we love them all. We just we'll have this one. We'll have a nice. We'll make him a nice lunch. Everyone can have a sandwich. It'll be okay. 
I like the uh, I like how the 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 champions are called. Car- I like their Carls, the Carls in this group. I just <laughs> the different names. I just I do. I you know they've got all these different little things that you know separating yeah, them from. I can't the help old. it. I'm sorry, whenever, whenever we play, and I have the the champion. Uh, it just it just have unconsciously we say like you know the Carl we're like Coral from uh, like Walking Dead <laughs> and like opponents we start we start like screaming at each other like Coral blah, 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 blah. yeah it just kind of happens <laughs> of course I'm it sure. does um, <laughs> now, I like also their uh, their musician ability the Horn of Grimnir rerolling one of the charge dice that's kind of big mm-hmm. yeah you tunnel up and all of a sudden you're nine inches away and you have a I re-roll on one of those dice. The yeah, average roll of seven, and then, oh, that one was low. Pink, oh, nine, here we go. Yeah, let me try that again. Exactly. <laughs> so let's see, what are kind of abilities do these guys have? And you know, I know folks were skipping a lot of the basic stats with their weapons and stuff like that. Um, you can look this stuff up. I mean, everybody's got the free AOS app. If you don't, go get the free AOS app. What's the matter with you? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Yeah. Seriously, the it models. I mean, the, the models actually in the box they come with the War Scrolls now. Yeah, so uh, it's great. I just tear that page out and I just have them on the table, and it's so convenient. But it is a free app, so yeah, you can just go get it. Yeah, exactly. Or you could play like with Tyler Mangle, and he'll just print out like pictures of his army with fluff and all the sheets, and just hand you a booklet that looks like it was printed out, made by Games Workshop. You know, and then, oh, right. here's here's a list of all my stuff. Now I'm just going to run all these chariots and win the game at the top of turn one so you don't get to play. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just had to mention it because every time I mention that army, I mention that. And he, he's, then I get an email from him. You really are upset about that, aren't you? No, actually, I'm not. It was just it, it was just dumb <laughs> luck how that scenario turned out, but it was just too funny. But seriously. you love to give him a hard time. I do. Hey, hey. I got the microphone. What are friends for? I, I, I've got the microphone. I can give him a hard time. What's he gonna do? Um, <laughs> but seriously, dude, b- most beautiful. I mean, when when your opponent hands you literally a stapled, bound, nice, you know, covered like it was like it. It was like it's like he handed me. I thought he was handing me a white dwarf. And it was like, no, this is my army list with all the fluff between all my units and pictures. And they and they were pictures of his units. And I was like, what is this? Oh, keep that. That's you know, that's that's in case you have any questions on what my stuff does. I'm like, well, that's great. Here's my list. Here's my crumpled up half piece of paper. You know, <laughs> dog chewed on it. I know. It's like we're like the fourth game. This has been in my bag for like the whole first day. I'm like, okay. Now I know. Well, I guess I deserve to get wiped out at the end of the first turn. Okay, let's go get a let's go get a beverage. Let's go get a diet coke <laughs> because this is this is just silly. So all right, let's get let's stop telling dumb stories. That I'm, I'll stop telling dumb stories. Let's like you guys are doing it. All right, what else? Sorry. <laughs> oh, there's my punishment. Oh, all right, we killed him. Yeah. Okay, Berserk Fury. Um, okay, so they take wounds or mortal wounds. Roll a dice. Six up. Ignore it. Ten models in the unit. Five up. Ignore it. Twenty models. Four up. Ignore it. Love it. You see where this is going? Yeah. <laughs> that's just, dude, that's great. So they get up to yeah. a four up ward save for 20 guys of their of their core unit. 
and they, you just I, I can't I can't uh, overestimate or overemphasize like how how uh, how big of a difference that is in having a unit to to weather that first shot. I mean, yeah, you're going to lose somebody. It's going to go to a five up, but it, having that four up if, when you take that first big hit, it's it's a big deal. Yeah. And they've already got a five-up regular save, possibly four if terrain. And I know I always bring that up, but that's a big deal, too. Well, and you have all these synergies that let you to re-roll uh, field armor saves or re-roll rolls of one. And so there's a lot of, as you probably know, it's already going through this. There's a lot of synergy and, and like, interchanging and, and re-rolling of uh, to hit, to wound, or armor saves. Yep. Um, oh, yeah, so... you got options. Now, they can either take uh, the two hand axes... Or they can take now. Now wait. Let me correct. Make sure I have this correct because they have the hand okay. axe and the war pick. So they can right. take two hand axes, or is it they can take? Uh, you can take two hand axes, or you can take a war pick and a shield. So it's a war pick and a shield. So there's no hand axe and a war pick combo nonsense. No, no, no okay. you, you got you got two options. You can either get double uh, to get double weapons, and you can reroll. To uh, to hit, and this is important here to point this out because some some books are different. Like I think the chaos or whatever, there's there's different. This is not re-rolling a roll of a one on a dice. This is re-rolling to hit. So you need a four to hit and a three to wound. And if you're like me and you can't roll for crap, then it's a big deal to have re-rolls. And you have two attacks re-rollable, re-rolling any miss, not just a one, which some other books and some other things have just a one. But this is a this is the dice to hit. So, okay, so you're getting, each character gets two attacks, fours to hit, threes to wound, one damage, no rend. So, it's, I mean, no rend is, is kind of a big deal. I think we all know this by now. Um, so it's not the best attack, but rerolling failed to hit rolls means you're hitting on about 75% of your attacks if you're rolling average with what the dice should be hitting. That's, yeah, normal people. Yeah, that's pretty people good. People that are me. <laughs> Now, then, if you go with the war pick and the sling shield, then basically what that is is after you make your charge move, you pick an enemy unit within a half inch, which basically means an enemy unit that you've made contact with, that you're fighting with. Roll a right. dice for every model carrying a bladed sling shield, which would basically be the whole unit, right? I mean, mm -hmm. uh, for every six, they take a mortal wound. And... Then you also get a four-up save instead of a five-up save because you have the shield. But that's only on a turn you didn't charge. So when you charge, you get the roll, and on sixes you get mortal wounds. And then every other turn that you don't get the roll for the mortal wounds, you get excuse me the four-up save. I'm thinking that the fail-to-hit rolls is the better... Oh, yeah deal i mean yeah. you get the the rend with the war pick but it's even harder to wound with the war pick so yeah. we we as an army we have a lot that that has no rend and then we have some things that are rend one so uh so the, looking at it through the, the rend argument is maybe not always the most equal and you know if you're fighting seraphon or something then you know that goes away entirely so the I I think personally I would recommend going with the rerolls to hit. Um, I have a set of I have a set of ten of these guys built with this the war picks and the slings, and I haven't had a chance to use them where they actually survive to be able to go do something. But um, you know, but it's up to you decide what you like, what's fluffy. But I, I would recommend the double weapons. 
I gotta say, because I like the look of the war pick and the sling shield. Like the model looks cool. I just keep looking at it, going, "Wow, I would much rather be re-rolling all of my failed to hit rolls." And I'm, you know, that's the, you know, because I, I'm all about winning. This, you know, <laughs> right? I'm such a cheesy, you know, no, dirty garage gamer. <laughs> yeah, but I just, I can't help but think, "Whoa, you know, I should probably be taking the the, the two, the double axis," because that's, I mean, that's so good. Like as you pointed out, it's not re-rolling ones. It's re-rolling everything that misses. And if yeah, you can, I had to play, a couple times, players have asked, so like, oh, you re-roll because they they use another book." I'm like, "No, it's re-roll to hit." Yeah, your book maybe is re-roll ones. That's because you guys aren't as good as us. I just like <laughs> right. the look. I just love the look of that shield with the with the divot in it and the helmet. It's got a sort of a Spartan shield look to it. It's just very cool looking. And then you could put it on their. Yeah, I suppose, maybe. I don't know. But these guys are pretty cool. I do like them. Like I said, getting the re-rolling the, the, the hit rolls and having the, a bunch of them, the guys getting the, the, uh, the, as you put it, the ward save is just nice. And re-rolling the one die for the charge makes them pretty good. Just in general yeah. makes them pretty good. And what I, I tend to do, and I would recommend to other players, is uh, if you're playing Fire Slayers, get a big unit of these guys and put your uh, your inspiring presence on these guys. So put the no battle shock thing on them. And if they have like 20, you know, you may get ground up by, you may lose like eight or nine guys, or whatever, like a really tough battle. But if you're not taking battle shock, then it doesn't really matter. So the battle shock, the inspiring presence on them is just another great thing to do. And it, it can make some big differences uh, in either holding the line or pressing forward. Well, the nice thing is 20 guys is also making them bravery nine. So, yeah, Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't forget that, too. <laughs> right. So, um, they're also, the one nice thing about this is that they're the one of the three major units that gets all of its benefits without having to be near a hero. That's true. Not that you need to be, not that you, not that, you know, I mean, you're going to have a bunch of heroes on the board, but these guys, uh, they, everything they get, they just get naturally. So that's the one thing I did like about them. Um, and then now we got the hearth guard. The two types of hearth guard. We'll go through both of them. The auric hearth guard because they're protecting the gold. Um, and you got the coral. He gets two damage. <laughs> see? See? These, it's contagious. These, I, I, uh, coral. <laughs> I was thinking more along the lines of the Viking carls, and now you had to do that. And I knew once you said it, I'm like, oh, he's going he's gonna to do, do that. And now everybody that listens to this is going to be thinking that too. <laughs> it's going right. to spread. Yeah. People are going to start to hate between between army and super <laughs> and, and 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 now six square studios between all these stupid things. Now Coral is just going to be like my yeah, shit. It happened. A bunch of dumb taglines. Like, I was playing a game and like I said it and then like I did the core and then somebody else like before I even said it like said Coral and then it just kind of like echoed around like just sort of went on its own little chain. Lightning thing around the room. <laughs> oh, jeez. All right. So the the uh, the Auric Hearthguard, um, this the molten rock bolts. So when they're shooting this this these these lava guns, um, so two attacks with it, fours to hit, threes to wound, one rend, one damage. Not bad. Uh, the range is fifteen inches, which you know 
is pretty much the best range on anything the the fire slayers have um so yep. basically it says uh roll a dice at the end of the shooting phase for any monster that was wounded by it but not slain so you actually actually do at least one wound to it um on a five or more that that's where it starts to cool uh, on a five or more until the it's n- the end of its next turn its movement is halved and minus one to hit for all any hit rolls for its attacks that's pretty good like it suddenly it's really slow and minus one to hit is is pretty awesome especially if you've got a couple of wounds on the darn things already yeah yeah that can really weaken a monster I mean, you, you just, I mean, heck, just look at the Magma Droth. Uh, let's say it already had two wounds. So the wound I just did put that third wound on it, put it into that next level. So you're dropping its move from 12 to 10. Now I'm having that. Uh, you know, suddenly uh, now the to hit goes for, you know, on all of its things goes uh, from four to five. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah, these I uh, just a note for for listeners and potential players uh, of the two Hearth Guardians, the Orc ones are the squishy ones, so you get the bonus of, of any hero. So you get things like Battlesmith uh, or superfluous heroes, you know, that may look like at the moment. Uh, they get the plus one to hit, and it's in combat. It's in so shooting and to hit, but they don't have any ward saves. So like the Berserkers are the ones that have yeah like the, the durability, and they're like one of the only outputs that we have for mortal wounds besides bleeding. Basically, there's like three or four outputs for mortal wounds that we have. So Auric, squishy, shooty. Think about it, and uh, don't forget you get two shots too. And then the Hearthguard Berserkers are the ones that come up and hit and have the more durability with the ward save. Plus one to hit if their target is within five inches of a Fire Slayer hero. So it's a target, not them. So you can keep them back if you need to. A small unit of them might be useful, I'm thinking. Because they are squishy. I keep looking at them between these two because it's the one, you know, it's obviously the one box makes this kit. And I know my first kit, I started building the Berserkers first, thinking, once again, because I'm such a power gamer, I said these guys are much better. But I'm thinking these Hearthguard might not be bad if you kind of keep them back out of out of harm's way, as you know, because they're still hitting on threes if you're yeah. near a hero. And there's going to be times, I mean, you know, the the Berserker's a hero. Right. He's, and, yeah, you have, you have them in combat. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people like to tunnel. A lot, a lot of people like to take one of their smiters if, if if they have two or just one, and send the orc hearthguard up. And you position you position yourself on the other side so that you have the fifteen inch uh, threat, the two the uh, two shots. But then you already have battle engaged, so they'll be within five inches of another hero, the target guy. So you get the plus one to hit too. So you can kind of come up behind and say that you're shooting up if you have um, you know in combat or if you have war machines to get rid of. Oh, nice! Or objectives, clear an objective. That's I've I won two games by just clearing an objective with these guys. Hmm. Yeah, right. It was one of those like sit there and wait it out, and I just had to get my guys over and shoot them off with the objective, and that was a game. Cool. So I mean, That's so I mean, at first, like you said, well, here let's talk about the berserkers really quick. Then, um, the car, the car, uh, <laughs> cool. his his. Bro- I hate you, Kenny. So his, bro- 
So he does one extra damage again. So his broad axe does three damage instead of two, and the flame strike pole axe does. <laughs> that just seems like oh, that's such a weird name for the weapon. The flame strike pole axe. It's like uh, it's like a stripper weapon uh, that does two damage. <laughs> um, With your daddy issues. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So these guys ignore wounds on a six up. If they, even if you know they got the they got the five up save, they ignore wounds on a six up. If there's a fire slayer hero within ten inches, you add two to the roll, so they ignore it on a four up. If they're within ten inches of a hero, that's really good. Um, yeah. Now, this is kind of interesting. now the the broad axe seems like a better weapon. They get one attack, threes to hit, threes to wound. Two damage, one rend. Okay. The pole axe is three to hit, fours to wound, one damage, no rend. But every time a model scores a hit with it, mm. roll a dice, right. and on a three or more, the target takes a mortal wound after the attack's been resolved. So even if you, whether you wound or not, if you hit, they're taking a mortal wound. I guess from the chain and the the brazier. Like smashing yeah, so into him, smashes it. So if you have rerolls to hit, it's good too. But with this, um, if you fight, so I fought some armies where there's like chaos knights or uh, you know heavily armored people, and they mystic shield, and yeah, you do two damage, but they save it all. So this way, you have that mortal wound output, which is why like the camp, the comps have them a little bit more expensive than the other type. But that that's we don't have a lot of output for mortal wounds, so this is just one of them. Hmm. So, do you think that the 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 pole axe is is worth it, even though it's not no rend, harder to wound, and less damage? Uh, yeah, hundred uh, percent. Yeah, uh, I, I've taken the I, I used the broad axe once as a like a proxy to see if I wanted to buy some and build them that way, and yeah, it's very situational. But now I think uh, hand, across the board, if you're if you're going to be uniform uh, or just you know having a game but not tailoring your list. Uh, I would go with the flame strike to get the mortal wound. Cause, I mean, have you, you seen that we don't have much that can do it? You know, and if if you could only hurt your opponent if he's got two board save or whatever else you know shenanigans going on, and you need mortal wounds, we don't we don't really have a lot. So this is uh, this is a good bet, and you can always tunnel these guys and deliver those mortal wounds across the table, or behind your opponent or whatever. Cool. Right. Yeah, mortal wounds really makes a big difference in the game. Having a unit like this, especially a large unit like this, be very beneficial, especially when you're running into like Archeon and Nagash. I like you don't have a, you don't have a lot of ways to divvy them, but man, do you have a lot of ways to negate them if you're taking them in this army. Mm-hmm. So, all right, Kenny. So impart your wisdom on us. We've gone through all the units. Um, there, you know, we've we've talked about which of the which of the six main characters we would. Do you want to do a? Do you want to do battalions real quick? Um, yeah, we can do that. Or did you want to talk about synergies? I guess I suppose we could do the battalions first. All uh, right, we'll take time. We can just say what they do real quick. I mean, we don't need to take oh, sure. much time at all. So there's uh, there's four in there's this four, book, and I think there's two in the. Uh, you have two that are from the other book. Yeah, uh, from Balance of Power and from uh, Guppies. Okay. So we can say those at the end. So the first one is... Do you want to just read the four of these? 
Yeah, let's just go over what you have to take. First of all, Lords of the Lodge, you have to take uh, the Rune Father or the Rune Father on the Magma Droth. You have to take uh, a Rune Master, a Battlesmith, and a unit of the Hearthguard Berserkers. Um, and basically, once per battle... Oh, this one actually is kind of cool. You can declare you're going to seize the initiative. Add one to the result of your dice roll for each hero from this... Uh, battalion that's on the battlefield. So, um, plus three. Yeah. So that's nice. So you basically on that, uh, you know, on the uh, on the roll to see who goes first on the next turn. Once per game, you can announce that you're taking a plus three to your roll. And you also get the uh, other thing that they get is. Uh, the Hearthguard Berserkers can be selected to pile in and attack twice in a combat phase, but only if they're within six inches of a hero that is also part of the battalion the second time they are selected. Oh, wait, let's defend it. They are yeah, it's worded kind of weird. The Hearthguard Berserkers in the Lords of the Lodge can be selected to... Oh, yeah, the second... So, the, yeah, so they got to be within uh, the six inches of a hero the second time they're selected. So, basically, every turn, this unit can... Pi- as long as they're within six inches of a hero can get a second yeah, pilot you wanna, attack. you want to keep them together. I'm actually going to try these guys at bits. They're, they're in my list for bits. And I'm going to try this formation out. It's not a bad... Okay, first of all, it's not a bad... Uh, it's not a bad War Scroll battalion at all, and there's nothing in this battalion that I wouldn't probably be taking anyway. Seems that yeah. way. It's just really the positioning, but the, the, these guys also still benefit from heroes. Uh, it, they still work as a normal army. You still get all the normal synergy. It's just when these guys are within you know the proximity of each other, you get the the once chance to get a double turn or you know initiative or however you want to do that and then the extra uh, the extra pile in if you have room you do more damage you, so you can do mortal wounds twice if you take the flame strike and you also get to kind of slowly work your way across the board if there's room there's there's lots to uh there's, there's lots of advantages to attacking and piling twice uh, even if you block yourself off you know you still get to attack again and especially for the mortal wounds so um, that's what i'm going to try and hope to do at bits i'm going to throw this in and see if i can't get two rounds of mortal wounds each combat phase cool um what's next the warrior kin band this one you get a rune sun either on or off the magma droth and three units of volkite berserkers um uh what do you get uh the abilities yeah first one in the shooting phase <laughs> Any Vulkite Berserkers from a warrior kinbin that are armed with throwing axes can throw them twice as long as they're within <laughs> 10 inches of the rune sun. So you get double nerf bats. You're like, look, Dad, bats. look, Dad. <laughs> Check me out. We're throwing lots of axes over here. <laughs> I don't know why his voice was like that. I have no idea. Um, from bouncing on the top of a magma drop. I guess so. <laughs> Those spiky bits getting into your soft parts. I got you. Uh, and then, let's see. The Vulkite Berserkers from a Warrior Kinban can move an additional D3 inches when they pile in if they're within five inches of another unit of Vulkite Berserkers from the same Kinban roll for each unit separately. So you got three units of them, and so, so you're going four to six inches pile-ins if, you're, if they're near each other, within five inches of each other. Yeah, it's situ. 
All right, you dropped out there, Kenny. You want to repeat that? Sometimes, uh, like into the the planning, but um, it, this is it's just kind of difficult. Like if, if you have uh, smaller units, like so, so uh, you know, I, have to ha- I like to have the Volkites at twenty to get the four up to start. So you need a lot of Volkites or a game that allows you to take a lot of Volkites. You know, with this, you're kind of taking smaller ones. So it's just up to you if you think it's worth it or not. Yeah, this one I'd probably I know, pass personally. on. Yeah, I'd pass on this one. What else have we got going on here? Uh, Forge Brethren, uh, Rune Smiter on or off the Magma Droth, and three units of Hearth Guard. So here we got a lot of squishies. Uh, let's see. First, um, let's see. If the result of a wound roll in a combat phase for a model from the Forge Brethren is six or higher, subtract one from the result of the save roll for that attack. So you got your hearth guard and your rune smiter, and if the so if the wound roll is six or more, minus one to their save. Okay. And uh, in your hero phase, a unit of hearth guard that is within ten inches of the rune smiter can <laughs> fashion makeshift defenses with a sustained volley from magma pipes. Pick either the hearth guard <laughs> themselves or another unit. Add one to the result of any save rolls for that unit until your next hero phase un- or until it makes a charge move. I'll pass it's on nice this one. It's nice to get impasse, though. Yeah. Yeah, I would pass on it, but it's nice to get a, a bonus to you. I mean, I see the bonus, right, to, to their saves, which is nice, but taking three units of Hearthguard... Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, pass. You know, and the last one is just basically... The last one is taking all three of these together. And what do you get? Uh, let's see. It, for, well, and they're doing this in all the books, it seems like. They'll give you three battalions, mm-hmm. and then they'll say, okay, now here's the grand army of everything. Uh, so just a reminder of what you would have to take for this to get this bonus. You would be taking a rune father on or off a magma droth, a rune master, a battlesmith, a unit of hearthguard berserkers, a sun on or off, three units of volkite berserkers, a smiter on or off, three units of hearth guard. And then you would basically subtract two from any battle shock tests you make. And then oh this is just oh this is so this is this is Go like for it. okay, I'm just gonna read it. <laughs> After setup is complete, you can declare an oath of battle. This could be anything. For example, this unit will be in your territory by the third turn, or my rune father will slay your general. If your opponent deems your oath unworthy, you can either make another or declare that they wouldn't know an oath if it swung an axe at them, in which case the ability has no further effect. If your opponent agrees that your oath is worthy, you're bound by it. If you do not complete the oath by the end of the battle, your victory is lessened. A major counts as a minor, a minor counts as a draw. Should you complete your oath, however, you can make a roll on the triumph table at the start of your next battle or two rolls if your win is a major victory. So not only is this totally for playing in your basement or in your garage, because we never use the triumph table when we're playing anywhere else, um, but once again, you have to come up with something on the, I'm going to do this. And your opponent, she's going to be like, womp, womp, try again. <laughs> and if you can't come up with something clever enough for your opponent, you just get nothing. So take everything you've got 
three units of these guys, three units of these guys, every character, every everything, and you get minus two to your battle shock tests, basically. That's all you're guaranteed. Yeah, I was I was really kind of like uh, when I first got this, you know, you have the build up, you're like, ooh, this, and then ooh, a grand fear, what's this going to be? Uh, and yeah, it was just kind of like, you know, like like the deflating balloons. I'm not even giving that two thumbs down. I'm giving that one the finger. That's what I'm giving it right there. <laughs> I said, it's, I said, it's let's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you. I'll give you the two from the Realm Gate Wars real quick, and then we could do a quick tactics thing. Cool. Let's. So have from the other two, you have uh, Iron Guards Berserker Feared, which which is taking um, one Grimath Berserker, who is Arngard himself, one Battlesmith, who's the character Turgon, and three units of Volkites. Uh, now, this one is in the, uh, four, I would call them, like, um, a comp packets. This one's priced a little bit higher because you have the Spirit. So the guy can, once per battle at the start of his combat phase, Arngard, who's that, that Grimath Berserker, can become the spirit of Grimnir. When he does so, any wounds he has uh, he has suffered so far in the battle are healed, and for the remainder of the combat phase, his great axe does damage of three rather than d3. So that six wounds at healing is a big deal, as I found in my games. And the other thing is inspiring lords of destruction. Uh, if if he if Arngard inflicts six or more wounds in a combat phase, remember his axe does d3. His feats of prowess inspire all other units from the Berserker feared within seven inches of him. So for the rest of that combat phase, those extra units of Volkites can add plus one to attacks uh, for the characteristics of the attack we- of the weapon they use. So, you know, potentially a pretty good one. That healing is, is really nice. Yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. Especially since you don't really have room. any healing pretty much anywhere. Yeah, that's that's like the big thing you get from that one. Um, you get dug in, so it's nice to have. And I'm just trying to pull up the other one here real quick. And okay, the other one is Guardians of the Great Chain. And this one is one orc rune father on a Magmadroth. One orc rune smather, uh, rune smiter on a Magmadroth. One Grimwrath Berserker, one unit of orc hearthguard, one unit of hearthguard berserkers, and three units of Volkai berserkers. Um, so the abilities of the two, there's Solar Fire, which the Fire Slayers uh, from the Land of the Chain, Sun, Searing Vistas, blah, 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 what's that? Oh. Add one to the wounds, uh, to add one to wound rolls for their throwing axes uh, hurled by the, from the models from this uh, this great chain. So they're, they're nerf axes, you get to um, add one to wounds, so they wound on a three instead of a four. Uh, and then the Scions, the Magmadras, are reared under fires from the Solar Drake, uh, and they're capable of unleashing firestorms of terrible magnitude, bathing entire regiments in their foes beneath the roaring wave of molten flame. I really can't wait to try this one. Magmadras from the Guardian of the Great Chain can use their roaring fire stream attack twice in each shooting phase instead of one. So it's like, you know, like Spaceballs, the flamethrower. You have like Fire Slayer, the flamethrower. <laughs> yeah. Hey, if you're within uh, five inches, it's D6 instead of D3, uh, mortal wounds. So you can, you know, each one of these could do 12 at maximum, 12 mortal wounds um, each, you know, in that shooting phase. Uh, if you're within five inches, you know, if not 12 the other way. But uh, that, again, with having so few outputs for mortal wounds, uh, this one I definitely want to try and get those magma draws, like, you know, tucked up there in pockets and have them spew all over the place because this one has a lot of potential. Yeah. That's a, that's Which book was that one in? Do you remember? I want to say this is a great chain. I think this is the uh, 
uh, balance of power. Okay. I'm pretty sure this is balance of power, and the other one is uh, God Beast. God Beast. Okay. I'll go back and flip through I had those to, books. I had to, to screen snap them off the computer, but I'm glad I did. So that's what we have, uh, and we already brought up some of the, the the topics and like synergy. Do you want to take a few minutes just to kind of? I have a few notes down I can share, and we can sure. Yeah, let's talk go about over. these. Yeah, let's hear what you got to say, man. You've been the one that's played forty games <laughs> with them. Let's hear what you let's hear what you've learned. So Tips what? Tips and tricks. What we have uh, we've learned and, and discussed by trial and error. Um, a couple big things here. So we talked about it being about heroes and and units and synergies. So. You may think like, okay, if this unit is in uh, range of a hero, they get this. But there's, you just have to think about that with your placement. So you can have, you know, three, four, or five heroes in the battlefield, kind of spread out if you need to, and then have your units in between. So you don't have to cut yourself off. That you know, you you have options to have these guys move around because it's like radius, it's like a bubble. Um, with the magma magma bombs, I call them the magma bomb. Personally, I found that the best use of, of the Magma Droth characters is to get them up and try to get as many units, preferably units that have mul- uh, multiple models too, to surround you into like a kill pocket. Because um, if you can survive that, and t- you know if you're playing kill points or something, if you can endure that hit, you have the tail lashing uh, at the end, so you do that the chance to do D3 mortal wounds. Um, if you have units with multiple models around you, um, but most importantly is, is the bleeding. You know, so we bleed every time we take damage, every phase. So if you're in and they shoot you in the shooting, like the best thing is you want them to shoot you in the shooting phase, so you bleed D3 mortal wounds, and then you want them to attack you in the in the combat phase, so you bleed D3 mortal wounds, and then all of a sudden you know you can do this every time, um, and. Yeah, I found that that's kind of like the best use. It sounds kind of bad saying that I'm sending them out there to die, but uh, as far as like output, and, and I'm not alone in this. We, we've discussed this. Like, this seems to be one of the most effective uses of the magma bombs, uh, and that's why I call them magma bombs even because they're like grenades. <laughs> <laughs> Take them up there, uh, and you have so many options for synergy. So you know that there's options with that too. Um, we already talked about the sacrificial lamb. I am sacrificial battlesmith on and near objectives. Um, oh, Volcano Call, so the, the Rune Master. I want to point this one out. Uh, and this is why I'm getting a second one of these. When you use power, you see so basically two things. Like You have the piece of terrain. Say so you have a hill on the table, and that's the one you pick within 20 inches. Immediately, you take a one-inch lip out from that, and you run that around. And that's when, on a six, you take a mortal wound. So you can clear off units that are on there next to it. Um, on a six, you know, you kill a guy. Yeah, probably not. You might kill one or two. It depends on how big the unit is. Uh, but then that, that lip retreats, and it's just the footprint of that terrain. But that terrain is better than deadly terrain, because on a one, if they do anything except walk over it, and, and you don't want them to end on it, then on a one, they're slain. So like the first time, this really was big when I killed a tree lord, um, because he, he crossed it and rolled a one. Poof, and it doesn't matter how many wounds he had. Um, the psychological effect of that is huge. It does work on you. And like I talked about... Uh, Magma blocking myself, you said, or drop block. I drop blocked myself <laughs> because I put. We were playing this big game, and the, the objective was this big hill with in the center. Uh, we had a three-way game on Saturday, and uh, I don't mind sending you know one wound infantry over it, but I blocked it, and I had my Grimmouth Berserkers had to charge over this. Um, and, and it's just on a one, you're slain, so you don't, you don't get your uh, ward save or anything like that. And I, it kind of worked against me. I didn't want to move over. I didn't want to you know run the gauntlet and chance it. <laughs> Even though we were at the end, we got desperate. We had to just sacrifice people. And uh, only a few people rolled a one. I think it killed like one sepulchral stalker and uh, a couple corn guys and I think one or two of my guys. But um, but 
more than that, the psychological effect is insane. And in the early games, I, I went way out of my way to tell opponents like over and over and over again, like this is how to get around what this does. It's not that bad. But they uh, they don't want they just don't want to chance it. They don't want to move around it. Um, and so you get like a, an element of board control. And don't take my word for it. Just try it. Just try it and watch games. And it sounds like it's not that big of a deal. But there's something about it like as a deterrent that is very, very strong. Yeah. Hmm. And it's something that other players have found too. We, we talked about it. Like it's not really that good, but there's something about like the psychological aspect of that that is like amazing. It makes it way more valuable than the actual power itself. So that that is a that's been a neat little treasure we found. Yeah, I found uh, board uh, control very important if yeah. you can get it. Um speaking of board control, so the Rune Smiter tunneling them. I'd like to run two rune smiters now, uh, at least if we're doing a pool thing. Um, I need to get a third one, but a lot of people have the same idea, so they're kind of hard to get on eBay, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we talked about earlier, you know, go, you take your unit within nine inches, so if you have the Volkites and they get to reroll one of the charge dice, that's nice. Um, we talked about uh, the rune son and the rune dad. Uh, do, do, do the different uses. So the rune son on foot, you know, being able to go against... Uh, models with three wounds or higher, whether that's like ogres or chariots or knights or even other heroes or monsters, that's really good. Um, I think, what do you, do you guys have any thoughts about any of the stuff as we went through? I think I already said some of the other stuff as we were going through. No, I mean, I think, I think we kind of covered a lot of it when we were even covering the units, at least for me. Um, you know, you just, yeah, agree. you got to keep the Does heroes. anything jump out at you? No, in fact, you know, I, I thought I I thought when I was going through this before the before you know we started recording, I'm like, okay, I seem to have it all. I wrote down every all the guys. I'm like, okay, these guys will help this. These guys need heroes around them for this. These guys don't. Uh, this is better than that. And all of a sudden, you're like, oh yeah, I, I I didn't think about the magma bomb at all. And then you're like, oh yeah, have this guy die right over here, and then make these guys stay put. I'm like, oh, I didn't think of that either. So you kind of hit on the head for everything um and this is and this is only if you're going to keep them as their own army if you're using this as oh, a yeah. portion of another army and i know you haven't other people have you, know, you can have a smaller sort of faction of this and still support it with other order you know order units i mean mm -hmm. think how great it would be just maybe just to run out a smaller faction with you know, I, a, I kind of um, a couple of units of the Hearth Guard and and uh, and and a and a and a banner, and that as as your objective holder, while you're running maybe something else. I mean, there, as you as you pointed out, some of these other things can be very useful in certain situations. Adding that into an army for that situation, yeah, very much be, a finesse. Yeah, suddenly it could be really, really sort of really sort of strong as a, as a supplement uh in certain ways you know just i mean that's uh, that's the only other thing i was thinking about that we hadn't really discussed yeah taking them with stormcast or and and getting those benefits in other armies yeah that was something i didn't look at either i i'm still it's hard for me i still have a purist feeling when it comes to armies <laughs> me too <laughs> I, 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 I'm still sort of building that way, but I just, I'm getting to the point now where it's like, I don't necessarily want to build big whole armies of one thing. I just kind of, you know, 
GW sort of got me in that whole, I kind of want to just build the, the cool thing that just came out that I think is really cool that I could just add to what I've got here. I don't want to necessarily build 50, 60, 80 of the same <laughs> right. you know, thing anymore. You know, So it's like, I can just build a unit or two of this and throw it in with this army now and play with it and see what I think of it and then add more if I feel like it. So I, I'm almost I'm almost going the the opposite direction where, yeah I I like to I, I have that purest idea in my head but that's like you gotta you gotta almost earn army purity now like I'll just buy something that's cool and add it to what I have and if it's really cool I'll buy more and then you can get your own you know all you guys army but first uh, first you just you get you get you gotta you gotta pass the test I guess that's kind of how I'm kind of going about things now. Yeah, you got options, which is nice. Yeah. I mean, we had our three-way game on Saturday. Robert handed me a case, and I, it was part of regular dwarves that I, I had him, you know, save before I went to Sweden. Like, oh, look at this, and like, yeah, now you can put them together and play your, your Duarden again. I'm like, eh, I could, and I probably will one time, but I don't know. I've, I've kind of grown up on these guys by themselves, and I mean, as long as you you realize the limitations in, in the Fire Slayers alone by themselves have a lot of limitations you have no magic you have limited output for more wounds and there, there's a lot you don't have but uh if you're willing to to talk you know talk through that and you like the look of it you can have a really great time and there's nothing wrong with mixing them with other grand alliance order things too so you have a lot of options basically yeah that's not a bad point no war machines no well you i, I don't want i you really have no cav because they. I mean, they've got the magma droth, but that's your, the one ridden monster for your for your you know mm-hmm. big characters. No magic, no war machines, no cav. So they are lacking in a lot of places. You have you'd have to really play to those synergies. So, and that's the one thing that uh, you you look at a lot of this stuff, and it seems almost tailored for a grand alliance. You know. Um, yeah, but I can like, see that. but. Uh, I mean, heck, it's it's totally, it's totally. You know, if, if you want to play it alone, I mean, you've proved you can. So yeah, we're Duarden. We like the challenge. Of course, we're too stubborn to say we can't do it. <laughs> That's right. The whole Grimnir thing. All right. Yeah, I, I I would recommend just if you want to go on YouTube and look at battle reports. A lot of us did that in the beginning, but there is a limited range of Fire Slayer battle reports. And even at the time of this recording, there still is. So I would try to see a battle in person. If you can see one at your store uh, or at an event or have somebody come over and, and try or even proxy if you have to. But um, yeah, it's something just, I think that you have to see it once uh, to get kind of the idea how this works. Cool. All right. I think that's a show, guys. Awesome. I think we've Fantastic. covered them pretty well. It's been about four hours, about an hour longer than we had initially planned. But, hey, it's a book <laughs> review, and we had a lot of fun with this one. I've had a lot of fun with this one. I hope you two have as well. Yeah. I hope the audience Yeah, I really enjoyed rereading it. and I read it when it first came out, and, and this gave me a chance to reread it and, and get excited about it again. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, like I said, I'm, I, am, I am six days away from leaving for Disney World and I am 13 days away from getting back from Disney World and uh, I've been sitting down and planning out my summer and it involves at least an hour of reading every morning to get caught up on reading for this show and after Eleanor and involves at <laughs> least an hour to two hours of painting on most nights because it's summer vacation man I got it all planned out so I'm uh, well while you're in Disneyland and you're on these rides just think about 
where you want your fire slayers to be from, you know, which realm is their lodge in, how will they look, what color is their skin, what color is their hair, what's their basing like, because I still yet to see two people do the exact same thing. And for an army this small with, you know, not billions of players, it's pretty impressive to see, like, the creativity and the originality that people have put into their models. Yeah. I'll think about that when I'm riding on the Dwarf's Minecart ride. It, it, right, there you go. <laughs> so Perfect. <Okay. laughs> awesome. All right, folks, lots of exciting stuff coming up in the next few episodes. So stick around and stay tuned because we will be having a lot of fun. Uh, Kenny, Christian, thank you both for coming on. I could not have done this without you. I mean, I could have, but it would have been really uh, weird, strange, <laughs> and boring like, uh, like when I did that uh, extremist chamber uh, review and you, you, that, that got kind of brutal and strange. I was making bizarre jokes about, you know, Drakoth taking trust falls into <laughs> arms and stuff like that. It, you know, well, it's challenging because Lindsay's. You know, she talks so soft. I hear her loud and clear, Fleet and the that's that's creepy to most people. But I realize none of you all hear her, so there you go. Um. <laughs> But uh, so thank you guys both for coming on and you guys were great. And I really appreciate everything you've uh, everything you've contributed today because you've you've made this episode, in my opinion, fantastic. So thank you you for having me. Yeah, thank you. And uh, with that, folks, um, you know, if you want to leave us an iTunes review, that's awesome. Um, If you want to, you know, send an email or a voicemail. Thank you. To those of you who sent stuff and I will be uh, getting that on the air soon and so until next time folks only the faithful will be triumphant only the faithful will stand when all others fall only the faithful know no despair except in failure you've been listening to Garage Hammer if you like the show we invite you to join the Garage Hammer community by joining our forums at garagehammer.net slash forum or our Facebook page Garage Hammer Podcast you can also follow us on Twitter follow David at Garage Hammer and follow Chris at Topher Chris U if you'd like to contact us you can reach David through David at garagehammer.net you can reach me that's Chris through Chris U at garagehammer.net and you can reach both of us through garagehammer at live.com If you want to help support Garage Hammer, check the support page or the show store on our website, or leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening. Smurgly Grimnir spat out a streaming goblet of blood, grinning through broken teeth as the spittle hit the demon thing square in the face. That all you got? The Rune Father bellowed. Under his graven forge throne, his Magmadroth ash tongue let out a fiery roar as if echoing his master's sentiment. Undeterred by the Fire Slayer's defiance, the hulking cornate demon prince lumbered forward, dragging its blood-spattered axe through the field of broken and maimed dwarven corpses that littered the scorched mountainside. Flanking the vile beast were dozens of hunchback bloodletters their evil faces lit by the light of the distant volcanic peak. At a gesture from the demon prince, the bloodletters held their ground. Apparently, the beast didn't want any competition for Smuggery's skull. Just you and me now, Ashtung. Let's give this craven slag son a proper taste of fire steel, said Smuggery. With a roar fit to wake his ancestors, Smuggery charged. 
the two warriors crashing together in a shower of ash and sparks. The demon sought to bisect Smurgry, but with an expert parry, the Rune Father caught the demon's weapon with his axe. In the precious seconds it took the demon to free his blade, ash tongue struck. Burning talons plunged into the demon's chest, and it was driven to the ground. In an effort to free itself, the demon thrust its own claws into the magma droth and was rewarded with a torrent of magma blood. Screaming, the creature melted into a fleshy puddle, the bloodletters watching as their leader dissolved. Right, who's next?